0: Hello there, and welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza, and today we're giving you the full card breakdown for UFC Fight Night Santos vs. Walker, or AKA UFC Fight Night 193, or AKA UFC Vegas 38. Anyway, there are 13 total fights on the card. We've got some exciting lineups here Kevin Holland vs. Dalkis, and Nico Price vs. Oliveira. The main event should be a banger with Iago Santos lining up against the young up and coming Johnny Walker. The event starts at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern, so if you're West Coast, you're basically waking up from your Friday night hangover, you're having a mimosa, having a, bl- a brunch, and And you're jumping into the prelims. We'll go over each fight one fight at a time, give you whatever tidbits that we can give you to help you make the right wager, hopefully, helping you cash some more winning tickets. Last week was exciting, a lot of people won from last week's event. Let's hopefully keep that momentum going. We'll start with the first fight of the night. Here we go. All right. The card opens up with a bantamweight bout between two veteran fighters of the sport. We've got Alejandro Perez, the 32-year-old Mexican, versus Johnny Eduardo, the 41-year-old Brazilian. Now, combined, these guys have fought 70 total MMA fights, so a lot of experience. Eduardo's 28-12 and 0 overall, two and three in his last five fights. Five foot seven, height, 71 inch reach. You can get him right now on the money line at plus 190. Now, as for Alejandro Perez, he's minus 230 in the money line. He's 21, 8, and 1 overall. He's fought 30 fights in his career. 3 and 2 overall, Five foot six in height with a 67-inch reach. So there's going to be a slight height and reach advantage there for Johnny Eduardo. Now, as for striking numbers, as you see in the screen, Perez is landing three point five two 2 strikes per minute, compared to 2.89 for Eduardo. Now, receiving 2.94 strikes per minute for Perez, as opposed to 3.34 for Eduardo. So, Eduardo... Not as efficient with the striking offensive defense. He's kind of absorbing a little bit more than he's dishing out. Whereas Perez is actually giving out a little more than he's receiving. Right, pretty obvious there. Now for offensive takedowns, it's pretty much non-existent. Neither fighter takes down anybody at any point. That's not part of their game. I think the that defense is okay. Perez seventy-three percent and Eduardo sixty-two percent. I imagine the entire fight is going to be on the feet. These guys like to box. I like to strike. They don't want to get on the ground. Now for tapology, Perez is a big favorite. I mean, almost all the votes are coming in for for Perez at this point, which makes sense. You know, 90% 90 of the votes coming in for Perez. And we'll talk more about that as to why that is. Now, I think at minus 235, Alejandro is kind of a a steal, actually. I was surprised it didn't open up at minus 300. And we're going to talk more about that. Let's look at Johnny Eduardo first. Okay, so Eduardo's last win was 2016 versus Manny Gamburian. Now, Manny Gamburian finishes at UFC career four, five, and one. So not a complete, like, can, right? He won some UFC fights. But that was back in 2016. My gosh, five years ago. That was the last time that Johnny Eduardo saw a win. Prior to that fight, he fought Aljamain Sterling. He lost round two via guillotine choke, and Aljamain Sterling looked amazing in that fight. That was like the young Aljamain Sterling and uh, probably also the last... Well, Aljamain had some good wins after that, but it was, it was a good young version of Aljamain Sterling. Um, one of the big things I don't like about watching Eduardo fights, like his last few fights, he lost against Nathaniel Wood, lost against Lopez, and the loss against Sterling. He's getting finished. Like he loses by Darst choke, punches, guillotine choke. Um, he kind of looks like he gives up. When it's not going his way in the fight, he just kind of throws a towel in and doesn't really seem to fight back. Um, specifically in the in the fight versus um Yeah, the fight versus Nathaniel Wood. He doesn't even fight the choke. Like at some point, he's just like he's reaching for like he literally is reaching for a leg. So he's in a situation where the guy is trying to pull a dark choke on him instead of fighting the hands, which is like fight the hands right he's like reaching for a leg he's trying some other shit and then eventually he just gets choked out and he just quits and so I don't love that now it's 2018 that was three years ago now he did have a fight against Anthony Berchak which was scheduled for 2021 back in March but that got, that got cancelled because of uh, travel issues for Johnny for Eduardo but look even before that been three-year layoff man not good not good and his last few fights he's lost three of his last four so a bit of a rough run for him and the fights that we reviewed for johnny eduardo we reviewed the sterling fight 2015 that link is in the description you can find that fight and we also looked at the nathaniel wood fight which we don't have the full fight in the description but you if you follow the link there you'll see like a highlight of that fight and how it does end so look The glaring issues i have here eduardo is in terms of what what are the biggest weaknesses he has his age 41 years old you don't get faster and quicker and stronger and better cardio after 40 i'm sorry it just doesn't happen i'm 44 i can tell you secondly you know he's getting finished in his last few fights that's a sign that like not only are you running into the end of your career you're starting to get finished like people are finishing away with you round one round two um he hasn't he hasn't won a fight since 2016 against a guy who hasn't fought since then who's basically retired so you know there's a lot of questions there about a guy like Johnny Eduardo. I, I could imagine this might be his last UFC, UFC fight. Um, there's a chance that maybe he doesn't get a contract after this. So you know, there's a lot of questions there. I feel like this money line is got a lot of value. I think Alejandro Perez is going to win the fight. He could win in a few different ways. He could win on the scorecards. He could win by finishing the fight. Probably if it gets a finish here. So let's look here a little closely at Alejandro Perez. Now, we reviewed the fights for him. We reviewed his fight versus Lopez. Now, let's do some MMA math here, on you guys. All right. So Johnny Eduardo, he fought Matthew Lopez in 2017. All right. So Johnny Eduardo. He fought Matthew Lopez in 2017. He loses in round one. Round one TKO, Matthew Lopez finishes him, right? Okay, keep that in mind. Matthew Lopez, Matthew Lopez. Matthew Lopez is a guy who is 10 and 10-4 overall, pretty decent fighters. His last three losses are against Brad Katana, Alejandro Perez, and Rafael Asunca. All right, in terms of his UFC career, he's got some UFC wins. He's beat guys like Mitch Gagnon. Um, so he's fought a few fights. Not the greatest record, but again, a decent fighter. I keep bringing up Matthew Lopez because... Because our buddy here, Alejandro Perez, all right, he also fought Matthew Lopez, all right, he fought Matthew Lopez back in 2018, and he beat him round two TKO, so Matthew Lopez goes in there and starches Johnny Eduardo round one, Matthew Lopez goes in there against uh, our buddy Alejandro Perez, and he loses round two TKO, so, you know, that's some pretty close MMA math for you in terms of like which guy is the better fighter, now, I will want to mention, though, watch the film of Alejandro Perez when he's fighting against Lopez, okay, okay, there's some, there's some, there's some scary moments there. Matter of fact, round one, the fight starts right away. Okay, Perez ends up on his, on his, on the ground, giving up back control and almost getting choked out several times. Now he's able to fight through it. it. It is nice he's able to fight through it, but he almost gets finished. It's not just one rear naked choke. He almost gets choked out several times, and he definitely loses round one. There's no question, loses round one. All right. What's nice, though, is he comes out for round two, he makes an adjustment, he defends a few takedowns, he gets pinned against the fence, defends the takedown again, and what he ends up doing is he ends up starching Lopez with an elbow in the clinch. Do you know the elbow where the guy's going for a double leg takedown, and so let's, let's pretend I'm against the fence, and you're getting a double leg takedown against me, and you've got your head on the side of my hip, and that move where a guy throws the elbow right right down to hit the guy on the side of the head because he's on your, on your hip? Even though you watch the fight in replay and you're gonna hear Daniel Cormier be like, oh, he hit him with a knee. No, 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 no. It was the, not the knee that did it. He cracks the guy with an with an elbow when he's in the clinch. And at that point, you can see the guy immediately change posture. And from from there, Johnny, and then from there, I'm sorry, Alejandro reverses position in the cage, gets a knee, proceeds to finish the fight, and gets a TKO. And so it was a nice win. What I don't like is that he gets behind early. And that's one of the issues I see with Alejandro Perez in his fights is he gets behind early, then you're requiring like either Finishing round two, you're either going to finish, or you have to win round two and three. When you when you lose round one, you don't leave a lot of room for yourself, you know, for error on the judges' scorecards. If you want to win the fight, you have to win round two and three. So I've seen that with him in a few of his fights. Matter of fact, let's look at the prior fight. So he beats Lopez. That was nice. 2018. So Before that, he fought Jorgensen. Now that was back 2015. There's another fight we reviewed here of um, of um Alejandro Perez. That fight, look at it as well. The link is in the description. He loses round one. You know, again, Alejandro is losing round one. He's getting pushed back. Jorgensen is is kind of out-muscling him. Jorgensen gets him down like once or twice, very brief amount of time. And you see that one of the nice things about Alejandro Perez, he gets up, okay? He he does get up off the floor. He does try to fight. He's not gonna just lay there. He gets up and right before the bell rings in round one, Alejandro Perez lands a nasty lower leg kick that completely like immobilizes um, uh, Jorgensen's leg. You can see he starts with that rolling the ankle, limping. He goes back to the corner. The corner tries to get him already. They send him out for the next round, and Jorgensen just can't get to the round. Ends up being a TKO loss by leg injury to um, to Alejandro Perez. So he gets the win, but again, he lost round one. He kind of, like, you know, he starts to fight off slow. Um, I, I don't like fighters who get into holes, right? I wanted want to see that from him. But, but, but here's another reality here. Alejandro Perez has been the active fighter, okay? He's been the guy who's actually been in the ring. He's fought a fight in 2019. 2000, he fought twice in 2019. He lost to Yudong Song and Cody Stamen. Decent level fighters. Decision loss to Cody Staman, Round one right cross loss to Yadong Song. Not great. And he's coming off of that loss. So that was two years ago. Um, his prior fights before that, he beat Eddie Wineland. He beat Matthew Lopez. He beat Alcantara. He beat um, Andre Sakamath. So look, he's got himself a handful of UFC wins. He's beat Ian Wentz. Look, that's the one thing about both these guys that kind of freaked me out. Like they do have a good amount of, of UFC experience. Matter of fact, Johnny Eduardo is three and four in the UFC. So people can't say that, you know. As where Alejandro Perez is seven and three in the UFC, like very good record in the UFC, and he's got a chin. Looking at my notes here, you can see Perez's fights. Look at some of the links we provided there. He gets cracked. Like I mean, look, he gets cracked. Matter of fact, when he fights. Um, he fights Lopez and Jorgensen. He takes some serious shots to the chin, but doesn't seem to be phased at all. Takes them well, shows that he's got a very, very good chin. So I do like that about him. Um, again, my biggest question or concern with, with someone like Perez is please don't get behind early. You know, please, please don't get yourself into some weird position where you have to come back in the fight against an old guy like a 41-year-old Johnny Eduardo. Um, I'd imagine... That the pace and pressure should be on the side of perez he doesn't mind circling the ring with his opponent doesn't mind playing that boxing game from outside but this is an older guy who probably does not have the gas tank for round three so i imagine if it goes to round three hopefully that's a gimme round for perez maybe if perez drops round one like he likes to do they can get round two and three if he has a win on the score on the scorecards. but i do imagine this fight probably does not go the distance and you're looking at a guy like you know eduardo who's 41 years old who's getting old who's getting finished so i would imagine perez gets to win i would slam this before it gets too late That minus 235 is not going to stay there. Um, It's not. It's going to swell at least to minus 275, minus 300, especially when people start kind of getting the whole gist about this guy's been off for a while, you know, record-wise, eh, you know, he's getting to the end of his career. He's got a nine-year age difference, guys. Nine-year age gap. That's never a good thing when you're talking about one guy being in his 40s and one guy being in his 30s. It's just not good. So, I spent way too much time breaking down this fight, but I wanted to give you guys my clear understanding or my clear picture as to why I think that minus 235 has a ton of value. Now, if you hear people out there saying that plus 190 has got value or dog or pass, tell me about it. I, I can't see a world where Johnny Eduardo comes in here and is able to go ahead and disrupt the flow of Perez. So I like Perez to win the fight. Yes, they've both been on a layoff for a while, but Perez has been slightly more active, uh, younger fighter. I think all the, all the signs point towards him winning. I'm going to bet him with confidence and I might not bet him straight up with confidence. I might just parlay him with a lot of confidence. So probably a lot of stuff for this card. So that's our breakdown, guys. <laughs> the first way to fight in the card is going to be a bantamweight bout between the American Shane Young and the Swiss fighter Stephanie Egger. Egger is 33 years old. She's 5-2 overall, 3-2 and two in her last five fights, 5'6 five and high with a 68-inch reach. On the current money line, she's minus 120, and Shane Young is plus 100. Now, Shane Young goes by the Shanimal. She's 30 years old, seven and three overall, two and three in her last five fights, five foot seven and 65 inch reach. So looking at the basic numbers there, it's a close fight, just about a pick em. Size wise, very similar. There's a slight reach advantage there for Egar and a slight height advantage for Shani Young. Record wise, also very similar. Shani has fought 10 fights, Eggers fought seven. So experience wise, a lot of similarities. Now it did open up with Shani Young as a slight favorite initially, and it flipped over to egger being a slight favorite, but again, it's a pick em, So that doesn't really tell you too much other than the fact it's going to be a close fight, right? Now, we're on Egger to win the fight, but man, it is close, and I did flip-flop, because initially I was on Shani Young, I will admit that. Looking at the striking offensive numbers here, and the takedown numbers, I don't know that those numbers are accurate on Stephanie Egger. Having watched her film, I have no way that she could be landing .67 strikes per minute, so that number has got to be wrong. I'm not sure what it's based off of, but you get the numbers there for striking offense and defense. It doesn't really tell you much, because Shani Young, again, is a very good wrestler, but here it says that she's got zero takedowns per 15 minutes, so I guess it's true. I've watched her fight. She doesn't get a lot of takedowns, but when she gets to the ground, she's very avid in the wrestling game, and, and she's very equipped. Um, so look at those numbers if you want to, but I don't think it's going to play a big factor in this fight. As for topology, Young is a favorite here, getting 60% of the votes, probably because she's the American fighter. People know her a little bit more. She's from Knoxville, Tennessee, yada, yada, yada. When you dive deeper into here, you start finding out more layers to these fighters, and there's layers that are very interesting. Let's talk about Shanna Young first. So Shana Young, what's her background? Actually, a college wrestler she got a scholarship to to a university in Bristol Tennessee actually wrestled in college not just a walk on got a scholarship for wrestling so big time wrestling her background has been into mixed martial arts for a very very long time um and i expect that wrestling will help her at times if she gets hurt she can grapple Gets on the ground. She can maybe reverse positions because she's fighting a girl who's got very good BJJ skills. So the wrestling should help her. Um, she did karate when she was very young. You know, went up through different sports. And so, look, you're talking about an avid athlete with Shinny Young. She had a baby about a year and a half ago. She's bounced back. Her body's in terrific shape. Um, always in the gym. If you look at her post, her posts on Instagram, she was working out while she was pregnant. The consummate athlete. Now there is a rawness to her though. There's a raw factor. Like she's willing to trade and like backyard brawl type of shit and it's it's courageous because she's got a she's got some hands on her she could throw but she leaves herself open so she can be taken down she gets off balance um which i know stephanie egger will try to do um she can go ahead and get caught with a few extra punches which is why when you look at her striking numbers she tends to absorb more punches than she's dishing out but she's a tough one man like it's it listen she could take some punches she doesn't mind getting a few punches when she's walking in on somebody she likes to push her opponent up against the cage like really force them against the cage which usually works for her if she's a shorter fighter in this case she's actually the, the slightly taller fighter not sure how well it's going to work here trying to get her chin underneath of Stephanie Egger. Um, the thing that I really most concerns me with um, with Shayna Young, her, her biggest, I guess, weaknesses, when she fought Macy Chasson, the longer fighter gave her problems. And even though she's taller than Stephanie Egger, Egger is a long fighter. She fights in a very a long manner. That's sort of her strategy. And so when she fought Macy Chasson, you know, it, you saw there was a little bit of a chink in the armor there for Shayna Young. Now, let me just put out there. Her fight against Macy Chasson was an amazing effort. It was it was, a, it was a, a testament to her will, her strength. That was a last-minute fight she came in there with. Macy Chasson had come off of, what, four wins in a row where she finished her fighters in UFC. So here was her, her, her opportunity to keep that streak going, and Shane Young did not let her get finished. Uh, Shane Young refused to get finished. She almost got choked out a few times. She went the distance. It was at high elevation. She was a late-minute replacement. She flew in the night before from like Arizona to Colorado at a very high elevation. And she busted her ass for three rounds and went to decision against a very good fighter in Macy Chasson. So the toughness factor cannot be underestimated. Shane Young is is going to be hard to get out of there. Now, she has been rear naked choked twice in her career. And when you watch her film, she gets into situations where she can be rear naked choked. Matter of fact, against Macy Chasson, she was in a choke position at one point. Um, if you look in the fighter, I mean, if you look at the link description, I'm sorry, if you look in the description of the video, you see the links there for the fights that we reviewed, okay, on these fighters. So we did review the Chasson fight back in 2020. Again, very good effort from from um shana young she survives the full distance she goes against a tough tough fighter you know looking back before that shana young beat pam Sorensen back in 2016 via split decision pam sorenson is currently in the ufc so she's fought some decent people she's either won or held her own now 2019 she fought suetama eight and six fighter that was an evicta um she wins the fight by decision but one thing i didn't like about that fight she loses round one and she's in a rear naked choke position in round one okay suatuma who's suatama who's eight and six overall as a fighter not a very good fighter had her in round one in a rear naked choke position and if she was a better fighter she probably would have finished Shani young but Shani young showed her toughness she lost round one drops round one comes back wins round two and three like dramatically there's not even close she's pushing the tempo knocking her girl back knocked her down with a nice jab um so she showed some resili- resilience in that fight the ability to come back that's probably her biggest like What's her her biggest weapon? It's her resilience. It's her, like, you know, it's like that Nate Diaz factor. Like, you can't kill her. Like, she's just going to keep coming at you. You're going to punch her in the face. She's going to take it. She's going to keep putting pressure on you. Um, just a very tough mentality, even if she's coming in late notice. Even if she's got, you know, a short camp. She's going to push the tempo. She's going to be aggressive. Now, we w- looked at one more fight of hers against Borgia back in 2019. Now, that is also a reasonable win. Not only does she beat Borga, or Borgia, however you want to pronounce it. Now, Borgia's 3-3, three and three, so I understand her record doesn't look great. But it was a five- round fight. Okay, she finishes her in round three by TKO. The, the hands are flying. You can see she could definitely box. Which when the fight started, Borga had the better hands, but by round three, Shayna's pressure pushing against the cage. You know, the, just that, that cardio, just that wrestler mentality, grinding, wearing you down. She gets the hands going, gets a TKO win. Now Borga has a win in Bellator. She's got a loss in Bellator too, but she's she's got a Bellator win. So look, looking at Shannon Young's history, when the distance against Macy Johnson after Johnson just finished four four people in a row, uh, beat Pam Sorensen right and she beat borga who's got to win in bellator so look from a from a from an early fighters like standpoint at 30 years old okay and seven and three she's got the potential ingredients to make a move here right this would be a huge win for her it'd be a way for her to sort of you know make the next jump my questions are the rawness of her fighting like she just has a rawness that's not clean and so it leaves you know a lot to be desired she can find herself in positions where she's getting dominated at times so let's talk here a little bit about our buddy Stephanie Egger, all right? So Stephanie Egger, what's her background? I had to do some digging on her because number one, she trains at a gym called Buddy Gym, and it's all the way over there in Switzerland where she's from. And at first glance, you're like, "What's this Buddy Gym?" There's like nobody there. You don't see any fighters listed out of there, and so that's a big red excuse me red flag for me. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't I think Knoxville Knoxville MMA would be a better training environment than Buddy, in my you know my opinion based upon looking at the gym and the roster who's there. So that was my first red flag on Stephanie Egger. And then she's 33 years old, you know. Has only fought seven fights. Um, doesn't have great competition. Her last fight, she fought Cortez. Oh, that was good competition. What am I saying? She lost by a decision to Tracy Cortez. So here we go. Another good loss here on these two fighters' record. Tracy Cortez is a good fighter. Um, You know, you can see that Edgar was outmatched physically. Okay, so in the clinch, that was the problem. Like, she was getting thrown around at times. Tracy Cortez, she's not really strong. I think she's got, like, extra strength. She's stronger than what she looks, basically. So, you know... um. It was tough. She got easily taken down a few times. She got thrown around the ring. She got dominated. She was on her back most of the time. Um, I mean, she did get a body lock at one point. Um, she did get a takedown at some point in the fight, but she was just outmatched top to bottom. But losing by decision against Tracy Cortez, you know, again, you could you could you you can live with that, right? That link's in the description too for that fight. The second fight we looked at for Edgar was her fight in 2020 versus Kiefer. All right, Now, Kiefer's one in three in her last four fights. Not a very good fighter. Um, and Edgar just did really quick work of her, you know, ends up going ahead and take her to the ground. Now Edgar has, I guess a black belt in BJJ. That's the word in the street. I guess Tracy Cortez mentioned during her fight that she found out during between rounds um, that the other girl had a black belt. So you see glimpses of Edgar in her film there. She's really nice on the ground. I mean, she's aggressive. She could find her naked choke. She's got some length. She'll get the full, full mount. She'll strike her opponent, make her, make her opponent turn over and get a choke. Now, this is the thing. If, if she gets young into a situation where young turns her back I think Egger is a much higher level of opponent than what Young, what Young has seen in, in the recent past in terms of her BJJ. So that could be a way that this fight could end actually within the distance is Stephanie Egger getting a rear naked choke. And I wouldn't be surprised if she actually puts Shana Young to sleep because Young won't tap. She's just tough as hell. She won't tap. She'll probably have to be put to sleep in that ring. Now let's look a little further back here at Stephanie Egger. I was trying to find out more about her. Like what's her background? The small little gym in, in Switzerland, like no one's there training with her. What, what's her deal? Well, looking back actually, all right, She has something crazy, like 12 national and international gold medals, along with several silver and bronze medals throughout her time in judo. So she's a former judo, like national and world champion. And she has fought none other than Ronda Rousey in judo. And she's one and one against Ronda Rousey in judo. Take that for what you want to take it. That's going to be some weird MMA math, right? Um, But here's the point. She's got a long history. Okay. 2019 she was world champions where she, set, where she went decision against Gabby Garcia. If anyone knows Gabby Garcia in the grappling world, you know what I mean? Um, she went to decision against Gabby Garcia in a grappling match and Gabby Garcia was much bigger than her. Much bigger than Edgar. So, um, yeah. So look, she's been able to grapple with some freaking animals like Garcia. She's won matches in judo against people like Ronda Rousey. Uh, she's gotten a decision against people like Tracy Cortez recently. She's got length and look, I like it when I look at a fighter, right? She also has wins in Invicta and Ryzen as well. But when you look at a fighter like her who's got that amazing run of 12 national, international gold medals in another mixed martial arts sport, it does translate. Winning, translate, guys. Winning is infectious. People who are winners, they're winners. They translate to something. Somebody... Look at Volkanovsky, right? He talks about it. Anyone can do what I got to do. It's like his attitude, his persona. He's like winning, just whatever I touch turns to gold. I think for Egger that long history of winning, um, that long history of being in a different sport where she's had success, and Young has that too, having been a wrestler and whatnot. But I think that international stage that Edgar has been on, competing against some top athletes, having fought against people like Ronda Rousey, who is Olympic medalist. You know, I mean, we're talking about high-level mixed martial arts here. I think that's the edge here. Um, and it also explains to me the factor of the red flag of the gym. Let me get back around to that. I, I may mean, have told you before, I was a gymnast growing up. I got a full scholarship to the University of Nebraska for gymnastics, and I walked on and played football there. I'm telling you from being a gymnast because it's a very niche sport, right? Niche sports like downhill skiing and fucking, I don't know, like MMA. MMA is a niche sport, whether you like it or not. Like, you know, kids don't MMA in high school. Kids don't MMA in middle school. There's no MMA clubs for little kids to go and do MMA like Pop Warner or or Little League Baseball, okay? I'm not talking about those kind of sports. The niche sports where you have to really find the right location for yourself and find that environment, I'm telling you from experience, it's happened plenty in the sport of gymnastics where you'll you'll have a gymnast training in some, freaking corner of the world with like one or two teammates and one coach it doesn't matter as long as that coach has a synergy with that athlete and that athlete has the talent and the push some athletes do not require a whole bunch of people around them some athletes do not require a whole big gym and all the bells and whistles and that's a big point here some athletes don't require all that some athletes like the the solitude some athletes enjoy being able to train in their environment with what they need i look at someone like stephanie egger Who's made the full-time transition now to mixed martial arts from judo? Okay, she did it consciously. She's from Switzerland. There's a sense of like ease with her, a sense of confidence in what she's doing. She didn't make this move because she had to. She wanted to. There was obviously some financial benefits for her doing this as well. My point is, she made this decision with her eyes wide open, knowing that this is where I'm going to be training here at this gym called Buddy Gym in Switzerland. I'm happy with it. I'm content with it. And she knows. I would I would give her the benefit of the doubt of knowing what's best for her because. She's a person who's had a lot of success in mixed martial arts. You know what I mean? 12-time whatever national, international champion. You know, So talking about a very high level of accolades. And again, in a niche sport, you got to find what's right for you. This is not like NBA basketball or Major League Baseball or like soccer in the UK. Like, look, this is literally one person, it's like a tennis player, who would have thought that Venus and Serena Williams, when their dad was training them in Compton, dude was training them in Compton on cracked up clay courts. And people told him, like, you don't know anything about tennis. What do you know about tennis? Black guy, what do you know about tennis? Um, I think he kind of answered that question, didn't he? So, there's niche sports, those individual sports. You find your environment, you find where you make it the best for yourself. And I think for S. Stephanie Egger, that answers the question of why is she just a small gym called Buddy Gym in Switzerland, you know, instead of maybe something, something bigger. I don't know. Anyway, I like Stephanie Egger to win the fight. I think that she's going to go ahead and win the striking battle. I think she also wins the position battle. Does Deshane Young win around? Oh, yeah, of course I could see that. Does Deshane Young maybe, maybe stun her at some point because she's got hands absolutely but i think the experience of stephanie egger the winning background comes into play here the long the long reach is going to also be a little bit of a factor when she's striking and i think look when shana young is doing those looping punches takes like forever to get there there's gonna be that one two coming in there from stephanie egger some front kicks as well so we like Egger win the fight i hope this breakdown opens your eyes to it because i heard a lot of handicappers saying oh it's a pass it's a women's fight i don't know too many variables i think when you look close at this fight you could clearly see that Stephanie Egger probably is the one with the advantages. And if you want a gamble in the fight, let's go with Stephanie Egger. <laughs> Next up in the card, we've got a bantamweight bout between Douglas Andrade, the 36-year-old from Brazil, and Gaetano Pirello, the 29-year-old from Belgium. For Pirello, this is his second UFC fight. He's coming off a loss to Ricky Simone, which is a tough, tough fight to start your UFC career with. He's 3-2 in his last five fights, 15-6-1 overall. He's 190 or plus, excuse me, plus 190 in the money line right now. He's 5'7 in highly 68 inch reach, and he trains at Vitor Team Shaolin. As for Douglas Andrade, the veteran here, he's fought 30 total fights, 26 and 4. Very impressive record. But he is 2-3 in his last five fights. He's a minus 225 on the current money line, which we're going to talk a lot about that. I think that's way too chalky for this fight. It should be more of a pick'em, in my opinion. Anyway, the Brazilian is. 5'7 in height with a 68.5-inch reach. So height-wise and reach-wise are the same. He comes out of NFT Castanhal, which is a gym down in Brazil. So Douglas Andrade, let's talk about the veteran first because if you don't know, now you know. He's coming off of a loss by decision to Leron Murphy. Not bad. Leron Murphy is 10-0-1. He's actually fighting uh, Maquan Americani, I believe, next month. Um, So legit dude, legit dude, right? Legit fighter, up-and-coming, very athletic, and... um, yeah, you know it's tough. He couldn't keep up with the speed. You could see that. Um, so, in the exchanges, it was like Laurent Murphy was doing whatever he wanted. He'd land some kicks, land some you know strikes, punches, whatever. And Douglas was just slow to respond. You know, slow to you know get back to him. He had a few moments. Douglas had a moment where he had his back at one point in the first round or second round had some back control on the ground. But Laurent Murphy is just athleticism. At one point, Andrade even had full mount like, on the ground, full mount, like, and he just couldn't hold it for more than just a few seconds, and Le'Ron Murphy just kind of squirmed out, so I'm not sure that just speaks to, like, Andrade not having good ground control, or just Le'Ron Murphy's a freak. Um, I think Le'Ron Murphy's kind of a freak, so going decision against Le'Ron Murphy, he got pieced up, he was getting, you know, Le'Ron Murphy landed whatever he wanted to land, kicks, strikes, whatever, and, you know, unfortunately, that's just really not Douglas Andrade's strong suit, he wants to get guys, maybe grapple him, get him on the ground a little bit, to tighten up the fight a little bit. He's got short reach, you know. just doesn't have... That's not part of his game, right? So he loses the fight, but it's by decision, so respectable. And that's a theme when you look at Douglas Andrade's history of fights. He loses to fights every now and then, but they're usually the really good guys, like Peter Yan, like Rob Font, like Laurent Murphy. And then you go back a little further to 2014. His fourth loss was against Zubaira Tukahov. I looked up this Russian guy. This guy's no joke either, all right? This guy's currently... What's his record? He's 19-5-1. So you're talking about he's lost against all very, very quality fighters. And in some cases, like against Leroy Leroy Murphy, he went to decision. He got stopped by Peter Yan. He was taking a beating. His corner through the Talon for that fight. The link is in the description if you want to watch that film. And look, that film was like Peter Yan. He's, he's, he's just a menace. He's striking. He's hurt. He, every single time he's landing a hard shot, you can see is like, Ugh. then Andrade would punch Peter Jan back, and Peter's like, that doesn't hurt, doesn't bother me. Eventually, he just takes him down to the ground, elbows him, cuts him open, and his corner has to throw the towel in between the between the rounds. So not the worst loss. It just shows you there's levels, and Andrade's is not at that level. And at the age of 36, he's probably never going to be at that level because that was Peter Jan when Jan was like 24, 25. So you kind of get the drift. For Rob Font, he lost round two guillotine choke. Again, look how good Rob Font's doing. Um, very good fighter again very high level he's got wins against guys like marlon vera henry browns cody gibson um now the last win he had 2019 against renan Bar- barario i had to look the guy up because i hadn't heard of him this dude literally um i'm not trying to make fun of him he's 34 and 9 so the record sounds like okay he's 34 9 but look at his last one two three four five he's lost five fights in a row to andrage luke sanders andre uhl brian kelleher all Jermaine Sterling. Then he got a win against Philip Nover. Then he lost against Jeremy Stevens, TJ Dillashaw. Dude has had like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, literally eight of his last nine fights he's lost in the UFC. And so that was the last win that Douglas Andrade got. Okay. Um, so not a really quality loss in that case. His prior win before that, Marlon Vera. I think there's, a, here's what I'm summarizing, summarizing with, I see with Andrade. When he fights a high level opponent, very high level, he's probably going to lose. But he hangs in there he may even go to decision like he's he like sort of like gets himself up for the occasion he's ready for it you know but when he fights like a lower level opponent sometimes like you know guys who are like kind of middling like a guy like marlon vera and like renan barrio he gets a little more position control he feels a little more confident doesn't feel like he has to like rise to the occasion per se but like just does enough just to win grapples does that kind of thing in this fight if you're betting on douglas Andrade to win you're betting he's going to take Perillo to the ground he's gonna have position control maybe find a submission though. I, you know, he's not big on finishes. A lot of decision wins in his career position control wins. That's the way he wins fights. His striking, very loopy outside. He gets a little tired by round two in most of his fights. And he starts doing these like launching uppercut side cut, whatever things, not very clean at all. Leaves himself open for a lot of counter punches. So in this fight, what I'm backing on is that guy, Tano Pirello is making improvements. He came in there against Ricky Simone in his debut and got thrown all over the place. Like a, like a wet towel. And of course he did. You know Ricky Simone's a very good wrestler. He's a you know, very proficient UFC wrestler. He knows what he's doing. He's got a wrestling background. And for Pirello, he, he he wasn't prepared for that. He didn't have the, the tools to defend himself against a guy like Simone. And maybe he never will, honestly, because Simone is a very, very tough wrestler. He's going to wear a lot of guys down. So he ends up getting triangled in that in that fight by in round two. It was more that he was exhausted. He just couldn't get off the ground. Simone had him down for all of round one, all of round two. But what I did see was a nice knee from Perello. Yeah, it was one small moment, but he had a nice knee in that second round, early second round on Simone when Simone came in. And it cracked Simone, but Simone, it was just one shot. He took it. He finished it, finished the takedown, whatever. I saw some moments where Perello showed some striking. Okay? Um, if you look back at prior tape of Perello, you'll see moments in prior fights where he shows the ability to strike. Some leg kicks, some nice, and down the pipe striking. So not like Andrade with the wide looping. I'm thinking that Pirello, if he's making these adjustments and continuing to improve himself, he comes in here and he's able to win the game and circle Andrade. He's able to get some leg kicks. He's going to have a little, bit of, a little bit of, I think, length overall, just the way he fights. He's like more of a karate style, more length than the way Douglas Andrade is more like balled up. He's more like you know, stocky style, more like loopy punches. You know what I mean? And yes, he wants to grab. And yes, he wants to grab his opponent and bring him to the ground. But if he can't, what ends up happening is he gets tagged up in those exchanges. So he'll come like bear hugging a guy and the guy's like tag 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 i can see Gaetano doing that not to mention here's the big thing here the elephant in the room the plus money it's almost plus 200 at this point and you got a guy who's 36 years old he's kind of on that part of his career now where you know he's starting to lose some of his last few fights here um you know hasn't you know let me look here at his uh, recent fight history here excuse Well, okay so the one thing about both these, both these fighters is they've both been active. There's not been any big breaks here. They've both been fighting here recently, so there's no inactivity. I, I just, looking at the way that he fought, especially against Laron Murphy, you could see that if a striker comes in here and just tests Douglas Andrade with some striking from the outside in circles, that's his kryptonite. And if he can't get the guy down by round by round two, then he gets tired. I think Aitano Perrello, the younger fighter, comes in here, 29 years old. He learned a lesson. He went against one of the best wrestlers you're going to see in that division. Shake it off. Let's go. I think andraj wrestling right now is not that good. And I think by round two, it's not going to be good at all. He's going to be forced to fight in his feet. And at that point, is going to pick him apart. So that's how I see the fight going. In terms of fights that we reviewed for this fight, you can see the links in the description. We reviewed the Leron Murphy fight. That links in the description for um, for our buddy here, Andraj. And we also reviewed the Peter Yan fight, which... Yeah, watch that fight. He gets split open by Jan. Um, there's a, there was like a commentary that maybe he, Peter Jan had actually illegal need him in that fight. I don't know if he did, but there are moments where, where Jan actually almost illegal needs him. Like there's almost three or four moments, and there's like a, a even a conversation with the ref, and, you know, because Andrade's trying to put his hand on the ground, but he can't. And so it's funny that later on he would end up having an illegal knee with uh, Sterling. Um, anyway, um, for Gaetano Perello, we reviewed the fight against Ricky Simone. Yeah, if you watch that fight, it's 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 very straight up. He gets wrestled around for a round and a half, gives up, and then ends up just you know tank you know basically getting triangle choked. And so, um, the other fight we looked at for him was his last fight before he came to the UFC, which is against Lesy. Um, I'm gonna tag this as a fight you should watch because I haven't seen something like this. Uh, this is a whole separate subject matter. So if you don't want to hear the breakdown anymore on this particular fight, just fast forward it to the next fight breakdown. But in this film. If you take a look at it, okay, it's again Leslie versus um, um, our buddy here, Gaetano Perello, okay, versus Enzo Maria Lezzy back in 2019. It's his last fight in the European beatdown seven before he comes into the UFC. I have never seen someone so terrified to fight. The the guy he's fighting is doing like this. He's like, <laughs> like every time they go to engage, he's like, <laughs> and then he'll do things like, Oh. Like, and then as as they throw punches at him, he's getting punches thrown at him. He's like, oh, and then the guy's kicking him, right? So at certain points, you see Gaetano just picking him apart, kicking him. And he's getting kicked, and he's like, every time he gets kicked, he just freezes up. He's like, oh. Watch the film if you want to see something funny. It doesn't tell you a lot about Gaetano other than the fact that if, if he fought a can like that, he would whoop a can. I don't think he's going to fight that kind of situation here with Douglas Andrade by any means. And I'm not saying he's going to do what you're going to see in this film to Andrade. I'm just sort of taking a flyer here. You got plus money. Could you see a world where Douglas Andrade, who doesn't push pace, I don't like that part of his. You know, doesn't push pace, man. He'll he'll accept the situation if he can't get a takedown. That he's just throwing looping shots. He's getting tagged up and he's losing the points battle. You know, that's the problem. He's losing the points battle. He doesn't push pace. I think Gaetano comes in here. I saw Gaetano try to push pace against Ricky Simone in the second round. He tried for a second, landed an a knee, and then Ricky Simone's like, "I'm bringing you to the ground." That's it. So. We'll see what happens here, but this is our first dog that we're going to be on for the card. So good luck with this one, guys, whatever side you're going to be on. But at the very least, I think you should dog or pass this one. If you're not picking this guy to win, like I'm picking I'm, I'm picking this guy to win. I think Guy is going to win the fight, straight up. So not a dog or pass for me. But if you're going to do anything with this thing, I think you dog or pass it because if you bet on the other side there, minus 225, minus 250-ish, that's just scary. Not good. Not good. A little creepy. You're going to get yourself in a mess there. You're going to be holding a ticket and like, why the hell did I do this 36-year-old guy who's like, kind of showing signs of falling off, you know what I'm saying? All right, next fight, guys. Next up on the fight card is going to be a lightweight bout between Jamie Malarkey, the 27-year-old from Australia, and Devontae Smith, the 28-year-old American fighter. Now, Smith's coming in here 11-2 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights, 5'9", height with 76-inch reach. As for Malarkey, he's 13-4 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights, 6'9", high with 74-inch reach. On the current money line, Malarkey is the slight dog at plus 135, and you can get Devontae Smith at minus 155. For striking numbers here, Devontae Smith's got a slight advantage here. He's landing 5.64 strikes per minute compared to absorbing 2.65. It's a nice ratio, whereas Malarkey's landing 2.02 strikes per minute, but he's absorbing just under 5 strikes per minute, so not, not a good ratio there for Malarkey. For takedown offense, Malarkey has a slight advantage. He's landing just about four takedowns per 15 minutes in a fight, which is 15 minutes, meaning a three-round fight, right? For DeMonte Smith, he's landing 0.74 takedowns per 15 minutes, so just under one takedown per per three-round fight. So for Smith, you can see the fight he wants it to be on the feet. For Malarkey, he tends to use takedowns at some point of the fight to get position control, try to get advantage against his fighter. He's an okay striker, kind of... um, a raw striker compared to Devontae Smith, much more of a clean boxer. Now for takedown defense, Devontae Smith has never been taken down, so 100% takedown defense compared to Malarkey at 66. So for tapology, now the votes coming in here are strong on the side of Smith, with 70% of the votes coming in here for Smith. Now let's look here at some recent fight history. Looking at Malarkey, I'm going to go back here to his fight versus um, Brad Riddell. Okay, so that was his UFC debut back 2019, just two years ago, and if you want to see a really good fight link is in the description that was a war it starts off kind of like okay a little chippy the guys are landing some punches pretty much early on brad riddell is cracking uh our boy here malarkey but malarkey's showing a chin and he doesn't get finished he almost gets finished a few times in that fight but he doesn't get finished and at one point malarkey gets a rear naked choke position on riddell looks like he's gonna finish riddell so the fight goes back and forth it was definitely the fight of the night kind of event um both guys had their opportunities but overall riddell ends up landing more punches more volume and man malarkey took a beating at one point the fight went from in my opinion being like the fight of the night to malarkey's taking too much of a beating his cauliflower ear was about to bust open um but he survived the fight and it was a tough way to make his debut into the ufc but you saw the guy was hungry thirsty wasn't gonna give up showed a lot of toughness he's got that backyard brawler mentality um if you don't know he's actually a former rugby player so he grew up playing rugby as a teen now, he used to, used to use MMA as an offseason training tactic and ended up making a full transition to MMA, kind of like Volkanovski, right? So, he's a tough guy. He likes contact sports. And if you watch that fight, you know he's got a bit of a chin. He's a tough guy. He's not going to go out easily. So, unfortunately, after that fight, he loses a decision to Faris Ziem. And he loses that fight because Faraz Ziem is not, like, he's not going to knock anyone out either but for is uh he's a, he's a striker, he's technical, he's got the technique that unfortunately Jamie Malarkey lacks when it comes to skill boxing and skill striking. Malarkey's tough, he's gonna wrestle you, grapple you, he's gonna grind you up, he's gonna have an ugly fight, he's gonna, he's gonna bleed, you're gonna bleed, that's the way he wants to fight people, he's got like a sort of like a, an Irishman mentality, even though he's from Australia, just sort of, if you can imagine that. Um, his fight after that, though, against Worthy was a beautiful win for him. He gets a round one starching of Kamaworthy. Worthy's backing up out of an engagement with, with uh, Malarkey. And Malarkey just kind of clips him on the chin perfectly. Now, if you know anything about Worthy, this guy has lost his last six fights by round one or round two knockout. Going back to like 2015 or 14, around there, his last six losses have all been by knockout. So Worthy, though a decent fighter and though he's been around, he has got a kind of a name that people remember. He's chinny. Um, so Malarkey, he catches him. You know, it's a nice win. Um, so overall for Malarkey, I do love the toughness. The guy's got a hell of a gas tank um, in terms of his heart, like his heart gas tank. Cardio-wise, in the fight with Riddell, his UFC debut, like you could see he ran on the gas a little bit. Maybe it's his first time, you know, in the ring. He, maybe his emotions got the best of him whatever. But so we haven't really seen him go the distance in recent fights where you can see the cardio... Is working. The heart meter's high. You know he's got a lot of heart, um, and I do like that about him. But in terms of like head movement, boxing technique, not so great. Wrestling-wise, very good. But he's gonna have his hands full against a guy like Devonte Smith, who's very athletic, very strong, and again has a high takedown defense percentage. So um, let's look here, at Devonte Smith. I tried to find more information about his background. All I know is that he's got comes from a small family in Ohio. Didn't seem to play any high school sports. Got into ma as a teenager. Uh, obviously, he's now an MMA fighter in UFC. He made his debut via the contender series 2018 gets a win over joseph lowry first round elbows to the face to the face gets the finish nice win then of course from there makes his ufc debut so Devontae smith's been on a nice track since 2018 look at the fights here we we reviewed this fight against james okay he fought james in 2021 now james came into that fight 16 and 7 it was not a good opponent um i just hate to say it i mean you look at the the fight itself it was a very very overmatched fight there for Devontae smith he came in as a minus 350 to that fight he ends up going and, um, what does he do? He ends up uh, finishing that fight? No, they go to distance. Let me just double-check this. I don't want to give you guys bad information. So, no, he actually beats the hell out of Justin James, and then round two, Justin James's eye is so big, it's a doctor stoppage, um, and it should have been stopped. But it wasn't a good measure there to see what Devontae Smith does well. All you saw him do was take advantage of a lower-level fighter. His prior fight against Worthy, that's the one that you have to just, like, that's the red flag. If you look at topology, the reason why there's 70% of the people on on uh, on the Smith they spent way to not hundred percent is because of the common worthy fight against common worthy. He gets starts in round one. Here we go. At MMA math. Now he gets starts in round one by common worthy. Who's got a chin and Jamie Malarkey. Just, you know, he just freaking knocked out common worthy. So if you're looking at that, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see how people would be like, well, you see, he, you know, he lost to common worthy and, you know, Jamie Malarkey knocked out common worthy. So if you're, you know, Malarkey guy, you're pointing right to this fight here, but this happens like, you know, shit happens in the ring. Um, or the octagon so I, I'm looking at that fight and if you watch the knockout what's more concerning I'm gonna tell you guys what's even more concerning the fact that he got knocked out around one from by Kamal Worthy. it's the actual punch that knocks him out it does surprise him a little bit so those punches sometimes are the ones that really can catch you off guard and, and obviously lead to a take but it wasn't a very hard punch and I, I reviewed it again and again and again it's a it's a short hook it's not a big wind-up hook. It's, it's not like Kamar Worthy was like putting his whole hips into it. It was a short, like, almost like a Bruce Lee type of like uppercut hook hook. And so it just catches him. Um and you see right away, Devontae Smith goes buckling. He falls to his back. And then Kamara Worthy gets on top of him to land a few, you know, ground and pound strikes. But it was just a hook that really caught him. And so my first reaction was it's not. My concern is not that he got knocked out in round one. It was a flash knockout. The punch didn't look that hard. So that that's a red flag. That's your biggest red flag. But I'm hoping that. For that fight that was just a learning experience for Devontae smith it happens okay now can malarkey bang yeah can malarkey throw punches pretty hard yeah can he take a punch and give back yeah so there there is a way and there is a world where malarkey can go ahead and let's say Test the chin here of Devontae Smith, but I think the striking speed of Devontae Smith is, is something to be notable here. Much quicker of a striker, better boxing technique, punches straight down the line, a little less loopy than our guy Malarkey. And in terms of the exchanges, he's going to land those extra punches in the exchanges they will get the point So he'll land four or five strikes compared to the one or two strikes to uh Malarkey coming out. So, all right, prior fights against um for Devontae Smith, we also looked at the fight against Julian Arosa. Now, Arosa just comes walking in, hands all low. And Devontae Smith hits him so fast that Arosa's like, I don't even know what happened. Smith hits him with a one-two straight down the pipe. Arosa just buckles, falls to his back. It leads to the TKO. Arosa, literally after the fight, was just standing up like, what just happened? Who hit me? Did five guys just hit me at the same time? Arosa comes in with his hands down. It was the perfect lineup there for for our buddy Devontae Smith. So if you're going to stand in front of Devontae Smith, he's going to punch you, knock you out. He can wrestle a little bit, which is the one thing I do notice. He has very little takedowns, though. But you've seen moments where he will reverse position against the cage. He could take a guy down. Look, he's built like a Greek god. The guy looks super strong. So he looks like he can wrestle and win clinch control. He'll need that at least to keep... Uh, malarkey from getting on him and bring him to the ground he will needed to reverse position if he gets on the ground and to get back up but on the feet his striking technique seems to be crisp and, and sharp i see him getting landing more punches here against malarkey not sure if we get a finish but if you're looking at the history of demonte smith it suggests he's probably going to look to get a finish here almost every one of the recent fights for him have been finishes going back to look, justin james finish Ma finish, Arosa finish, Lowry finish, Edwards finish, Gerhardt finish, Robinson finish. The dude has finished every single one of his pro fights. I'm not kidding, every one. So right now he is record wise 11 and 2. All 11 of his fights he's won by a knockout of some kind. So the guy's got hands. He's going to put his hands on Malarkey. Malarkey likes to get hit. Most likely, it does not go the distance. Now, on the flip side, if you're like, no, Malarkey, he's got power, man. He just knocked out Kamala Worthy. Okay, the under's all there, guys. It's right there, the under. It should not go the distance. Someone should win this fight by TKO. Maybe just take the prop bet of the fight ends by some kind of a KO. Um, Could somebody get choked out? I don't know. I saw Malarkey have... um, Riddell in a perfect rear naked choke position, and he didn't seem to be able to pull the rear naked choke off. Looking at Devontae Smith again, I'm trying to just scour his his fight history. Yet yeah, every single one of his fights have landed by either a doctor stoppage. Um, oh, no, he does have a triangle choke against Devontae Smith, Smith, Robinson back in 2017. So you know, otherwise, it's elbows, it's ground and pounds, it's left hooks, it's doctor stoppages. I see. This fight most likely ending within the dist- within this, the fight distance at some point. Devontae Smith probably ending the fight because of TKO. I can see Malarkey having some damage. And Malarkey not going to throw the towel in, guys. He's not going to pull uh, a Nick Diaz. He's going to have to be dragged out of that damn ring. So he's a very proud fighter from Australia. Anyway, we're on Devontae Smith to win the fight. In terms of the money line, real quickly, just reviewing it. Um... Yeah, minus 155, it's, there's a lot of value there, right? So, look, hit that, pound it, I would definitely parlay it. I'm going to take at least a unit uh, straight up there on Devontae Smith, which will be 100 bucks on him, and uh, I like this bet a lot. I think he's going to come in here, do well. There's a little bit of a level difference, in my opinion. you got a very athletic here fighter at 28 who's really much just kind of scratching into his prime versus a guy like Malarkey who I think we're seeing the best that we're going to see of him, um, and his best quality, unfortunately, is not a quality that's going to be good over the long haul, which is basically he could take a beating um i think it's best quality that's part of the reason why he's in this fight here is because we know he's going to come in here he's going to give it all he can he's going to go out on his sword and so i think we're going to see that here in this fight so we're on Smith to, to win the fight good luck with this one guys All right, next up on deck is a bantamweight bout between two Brazilian female fighters. We've got Cal Rosa, the up-and-coming 26-year-old, and Betch Carrera, the 38-year-old relic in this division. If you don't know who Betch Carrera is, you're going to know after this video. She's been around for a while, definitely deserves a, a curtain call here and some respect. Rumor has it she might be retiring after this fight, so we'll give a lot of love to her in this video breakdown. Betch Carrera is 11-5-1 overall. Her last five fights, a little bit of a rough patch, 1-3-1 and one, her last five. She's 5-5 five and five high with a 64-inch reach. No love on the money line for her. She's a plus 270 underdog. That's a little disrespectful. I think it should be a little closer than that, though I do favor Carol Rosa to win. Now, Rosa's minus 350 in the money line. She's obviously 12 years younger than Betch Carrera. She's 14 and 3 overall, 5 and 0 in her last five fights, That she is on a five-fight winning streak. She's 5'5 and high with a 68-inch reach. So height-wise, they're about the same. Reach-wise, Rosa has a small advantage. The striking numbers there favor Betch Carrera a little bit. She's a busy fighter, landing 7.73 strikes per minute compared to 4.39 for Cara Rosa, absorbing 5.51 for Betch Carrera and 4.56 for Cara Rosa. So in terms of the striking numbers, again, Betch Carrera's got a little bit better of of a number system there in terms of her strike rate, her output versus what she's receiving. For Carol Rosa, she's landing .44 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is pretty much no takedowns, okay? For Betch Carrera, she's averaging two takedowns per 15 minutes, so it's a takedown number at least worth respecting and considering. For Betch Carrera, she's defending 48% of her takedowns, Carol Rosa, 58%. As for Tapology, Rosa is the big favorite, getting 94% of the votes. Again, we like Rosa to win the fight. I like her as a parlay piece a lot. I have a lot of confidence in her. Now, we broke down the film on these fighters, okay? We looked at certain fights here just to kind of review and sort of remind ourselves the fight we looked at here for bech carrera was we looked at her versus Panny kianzai back in 2020 that was just last summer okay it's a litmus test there for the current version of bech carrera okay she's a veteran been around for a long time but when you're having a hard time beating someone like panny kianzai it's sort of the telltale sign that the end is coming all right she couldn't really muscle her over she couldn't push her up against the cage like she wanted to she couldn't keep her in the ground like she wanted to um and you can see there's a, there's a striking speed difference with Betch Carrera and some of these younger fighters like Carol Rosa or Panikianzad who strike down the middle fast, quick punching Betch Carrera for lack of better terms, is like a George Foreman type of like, you know, square boxer and just punch and run forward. And, you know, not a lot of technique there. Um, And if you don't know, she went to college, got an accounting degree, Excuse me. Then goes to the office, starts a job, and is like, you know, I can't sit behind the desk. I'm too hyper for this. And goes and starts training MMA. Like it's a part time thing, just to sort of, you know, get you know, get her energy out. Falls in love with it. Leaves the job. Goes into it full time. And then back in 2012. Back in you know about nine well nine years ago, she jumps into a full force and you know falls in love with it. She talks a lot about how much she loves the, the mixed martial art business and sport, and whatever. Um, but I say this because you could see that there's a lack of technique in the way that she strikes. You could tell that she wasn't like a Taekwondo. Uh, student as a kid you could tell she wasn't a karate student you could tell that she wasn't in the bjj you know uh programs you you could just see it in the way she fights she has a very raw street fighter brawler sort of style that's not technically sound which in that moment it's exciting she gets hit she can get hit she's got a chin she bleeds she's got good output she's very durable um and other than a few times that she's been stopped by some really top level fighters she tends to give you a show nice attitude um and so with all that said you know She's been a staple in the division for a while. It's crazy. She's fought some good fighters, and when you look back at her fight history, you'll see names you recognize. She lost to Ronnie How- Ronda Rousey. She's lost to Holly Holmes. Um, we did watch the Holly Holmes fight, and the link is in the description. If you want to see... I don't want to laugh. I'm, I'm not laughing. It's just that it's 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 entertaining. <laughs> how she gets knocked out in this fight. Because literally, one minute, Betch Carrera's like, come here, Holly. She's doing this to her. Like, come here. Like, that Johnny Manziel thing, like, the money thing, and just doing this a little bit. It's like, because Holly's circling her. Holly's doing the whole, you know, kickboxing, distance stuff. Not even 10 seconds after she starts this shit, Holly Holm kicks her right in the head, knocks her out, punches her one more time, puts her flat in her back. Betch Carrera is sleeping in the middle of the the damn octagon. So, look, in that moment, Betch Carrera is like, let's fight. She has her hand up to block the kick. The kick just like goes through the hand. The hand becomes invisible. That's Betch Carrera for you. She's not very quick. She's always going to get hit. She's open to get hit. Her guard's not great. She just blocks punches with her face, more or less. So, you know, it's worth mentioning too. She started her career off 9-0. Betch Carrera started her career 9-0, was 3-0 in the UFC. Life was good. And she was like, she was out there talking to people like, give me Ronda Rousey. She mentioned in articles, she was interviewed. She's like, I want the best. Give me the best. She goes in there with Ronda Rousey. He loses in 31 seconds. J- Aladdin. Okay, <laughs> let's reset real quick here. After that, after that fight or experience, she goes in the, in the ring with Raquel Pennington. Now, in her defense, she loses by split decision, so it's a close fight. Gives you an idea that Raquel Pennington's been around for a while. She's another tough, tough young lady. Her fight after that is against Jessica I. It's like, oh, whew, got a split decision win over Jessica I. Yeah, eh, okay. We that doesn't age great now after all, all this time. Her next fight, 2017, is against Mariana Renault. And you're like, oh, Mariana Renault, she just retired, right? She was like 44. Well, back when they fought in 2017, Mariana Renault was still in her 40s. She was 40, and they go, to a, they go to a draw. But when you look at the judges' scorecards, interestingly enough, two judges had it as a draw, and one judge had it 29-27 for Renault. So, and, you know, you kind of say she kind of lost that fight against Renault. That was part of her 1-3-1 and one phase that we're getting into. Because after Renault, she gets her head kicked off by Holly Holm. And then she fights Irene Aldana and gets submitted in, in round three by Armbar. Then she gets back into the win column with, with Sajar Eubanks. Thank you, Eubanks. Thank you. And then back into the lost column with Patty Kianzad. So it's been a rough patch for someone who was once 9-0. This uh, last patch that she's been on has been rough. Um, I think this is it for her. I think this is her curtain call. Notably, her social media following is like gigantic. She has like 200,000 followers on Instagram and 30,000 followers on, on on Twitter. That's probably from the days when she was fighting Ronda and when she was fighting Holly Holmes and really beefed up her fan base. But still, she's very popular. She's a good she's a, she's a well-liked person. Put it that way in the division. Now, let's talk a little bit about Carol Rosa. Carol Rosa, 26 years old, 14 and three overall coming in here in a five fight winning streak. My biggest criticism of her is she hasn't fought anyone like really, really notable. Like Wins over Vanessa Mello, the link is in the description for that fight, and Jonathan Edwards, that fight. We, we reviewed those two fights. Um, and Laura Procopio, that split decision win, which was her first fight in the UFC, which is a good opponent for her, right? Um, so she's got these wins here, five-fight winning streak and three-fight winning streak in the UFC. Looking good so far. I would, though, even say, even if I saw some issues with Cara Rosa's game, and I do, uh, not great head movement in exchanges, so when she's punching with you, She'll take some hits in, in return. She's not great at getting her guard back up. She's not great with moving her head movement. So she's hittable. And Beth and Betch will try to, you know, exchange with her. Betch will just stand there and take hits to the face and try to exchange with her. So that's one area Kara has to be careful of because Betch does have some power in her hands. Now Betch has never knocked anyone out, mind you, in her entire career. She's been fighting for about 9, 10 years. Um, I don't think that's going to start now with Carol Rosa, if you know what I'm saying. 38-year-old, I don't think her power has increased now. Um, she's not going to the sweet spot of her career in terms of power for women in this division, right? So um, with all that said, I just think that Carol Rosa in every way, shape, or form beats her. It's the age factor, right? Um, it's the quickness factor. It's the athletic factor. Um, it's the, like, trajectory, one person is literally diving right now at the end of the career. other person is going up. Um, Betch Carrera has been getting finished in these fights, too. It's not just she's losing by decision. She's been getting finished. Now, I don't think Cara Rosa finishes her. I think this goes to decision. I love that prop because if you bet this straight up here at minor 350, you get no value in the money line pretty much, okay? There's a value for a prop bet. A decision for Cara Rosa for sure. Look at that, and then also as a parlay piece. I'm parlaying Cara Rosa all over the place this week with football, NFL, baseball, the whole damn deal, because I have a lot of confidence her to win the fight. I think she could make some mistakes. She could even lose a round and be fine. How does she lose a round? Bet Carrera trips and falls on top of her, and Bet Carrera is a big, big lady. So maybe she's you know on top of her for a while, and Cara Rosa can't get you know out from underneath of her. But Betch Carrera doesn't have a great ground game. She doesn't. She just kind of will lay there. It's kind of easy to get out from under her, even though she's a little bit bigger. Um, maybe she lands a few punches, and she just kind of stuns Kara Rosa for part of a round, and she wins around that way. So um, Betch Carrera does have a tendency to ugly fights up. She can do that. Um, she's done it before. She's had plenty of split decision close fights before, both winning and losing. So, you know, I can see that happening. But, again, back to the fundamentals here. We have a 12-year age difference. We have one fighter on a five-fight winning streak who's really making some moves in the division. She's got a four-inch reach advantage. Rosa does. If Rosa wants to win the fight easily, just circle, kick, and move. Now, Rosa has a great kicking game, too. And, her, and it's her lower leg kicking game. So she uses it almost like a jab we'll feel out. With Betch Carrera, who stands very heavy on her feet, that leg's going to be right there to kick the entire fight. So there's going to be points to earn with the kicking game, striking, jabbing. Betch Carrera is the kind of fighter where at this point in her, her career, that 38-year-old time and getting older, slower... She's going to hit in the face two, three times before she even responds. I can see it happening. I can see Carol landing a one, two, three, and then Betch Carrera's like, oh, oh, whoa. That's going to happen a few times early on in the fight because for Betch Carrera, look, the writing's on the wall. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. So the current call for Betch Carrera here, a lot of respect for her. She at one point was willing to fight the best in the world, and she did get in there. She got her ass beat. But you know what? She's also part of a collection of fighters that were the first, the first of the Mohegans, the first ladies that fought in these divisions. Then when they made this a sport that was, was respected before the Ronda Rousey's and before the ladies that fought during this time. It wasn't respected. It was frowned upon. There was no there was no openings there for other fighters who wanted to get into the sport. Now those these are those sort of like the queens of the division and queens of the sport who opened it up to all the female fighters who are around today. So for that, Betch Carrera, you know I salute you. Um, and if you pull off an upset. My prediction is completely wrong, and I would be very happy for you. But I don't think it happens here. I won't be surprised if she it, it maybe retires even in the ring afterwards. Does the thing with the gloves and puts them down and says peace. So that's our breakdown, guys. I like Rosa to win the fight. Um, let me know in your comments if you see something different, or you feel anything different, or something I didn't cover. All right, thanks, guys. Oh, one more thing. Again, in the description, we always put the links again for the fights we reviewed. So just real quickly, the fights we reviewed for this breakdown was we looked at the Rosa versus Edwards fight from 2021. And we looked at the Rosa versus Mello fight from last year. We also looked at the Panny Kianzad fight versus Betch Bech- Carrera back in 2020, last summer. And we also looked at the Holly Holm fight versus Betch Carrera, the link's in the description. Check it out if you wanna see a funny knockout. All right, guys, here's a breakdown, take care. <laughs> Alright, the second women's fight in the card is going to be a flyweight bout between Antonina Shevchenko, the 36-year-old veteran from Kyrgyzstan, and yes, the sister of Valentina Shevchenko. She's going against Casey O'Neill, the 23-year-old, 13 years younger than her. Casey O'Neill's from Scotland slash Australia. She's 7-0. Coming in here as a big favorite at minus 220 in the money line, and Shevchenko's a plus 180 in the money line. Now, Shevchenko's 9-3 overall, 2-3 in her last five fights, 5'8 in height with 68-inch reach. As for Casey O'Neill, as we mentioned, she's undefeated at 7-0, 5 5-foot-6 and height with 69-inch reach. So, height-wise, very similar Maybe a two inch height advantage there for Shevchenko. She's a very long fighter. Reach wise, interestingly enough, though, Casey will have a one inch reach advantage there over her. Now, looking at their striking offense, Casey you knows a busy fighter. She's landing just over five and a half strikes per minute, absorbing 2.64 strikes per minute. As for Antonina, my goodness, Shevchenko, she's landing 3.87 strikes per minute and absorbing 2.77 strikes per minute. For takedown offense for Shevchenko, very limited there. She's only getting about a half a takedown per fight. And in terms of Casey, though, know, she's averaging about 3.47 takedowns per three round fight. So, a lot more active in the wrestling component for Casey O'Neill. Take down defense is about the same. Shevchenko 50% and O'Neill 60%. But again, if is pressing to take down offense and Shevchenko's not great at takedown defense, you can see where this could become a problem at some point, right? According to Tapology, O'Neill's getting 83% of the votes. And I think that number would probably be like 93 to 95% if Antonina Shevchenko wasn't the sister of the bullet Shevchenko. And look, that's about the only good comparison you can make because otherwise, Shevchenko. They both fight very differently. Okay, Valentina is much quicker, sharper, shorter. Um, Antonina is a longer Muay Thai type of uh, fighter, and she has a wonderful kickboxing background. I, I do want to mention this. Antonina Shevchenko started her career like you, MMA a long time ago, guys. Like back, way back, she was three and zero. Okay, and then she took a 12-year layoff from MMA, which is wild, right? So she starts three and zero, takes a 12-year layoff, but during that layoff. She fights something like almost 40 kickboxing fights and goes 39-1. and one. So it wasn't like she wasn't dealing with martial arts whatever. She just took a break from MMA, but then comes back to MMA after the 12-year layoff and now she's obviously 9-3. and three. So when you see 9-3, and three, you're like, why is she only 9-3? She's 36 years old. The woman has fought a ton of fights, kickboxing or whatever else. So kickboxing's her background. Muay Thai, Thai clinch, high knees. This is where she likes to do her work. Not so much on the ground. She gets a little bit of trouble on the ground. She's kind of a long fighter. That's what Andrea Lee did to her, right? Let's look at the recent fight history here for Shipchenko. Coming off of a loss to Andrea Lee and Look, not all losses are created equal, right? It was the way that she lost. Like, Andrea Lee, a 12-5 and 5 fighter who's coming off of a loss, you know, coming off of three straight losses. She lost to Roxanne Montefiore, Lauren Murphy, and Joanne Calderwood. Two of those losses not so bad, but Roxanne Montefiore, and then she comes there against Antonina and arm bars her round two and just looks dominant. Now, round one, kind of close, you know, it's close on the feet, but round two was a 10-8 round before she armbars bars Shevchenko, and, you know, I'm just putting it out there. Andrea Lee is an okay fighter. Again, she's lost three of the last four, including a fight against Roxanne Montefiore, so... You know, when you're looking at someone like Andrea Lee, if that fight was close, that's one thing, but it wasn't close. Shevchenko got dominated by Andrea Lee. Now, her prior fight was by far, I think when you're looking at uh, Shevchenko's MMA fight history, her win over Ariana Olipsky is by far her most impressive win, and that is kind of scary because Ariana Olipsky, like she has her moments, and especially on the ground, she's terrible. So what ends up happening here is that Antonia Shevchenko beats her on the ground, and Shevchenko doesn't have a good ground game. It just shows you, Lipsky is very limited. She's cute as hell, but man, she's limited. And she just had a win over bomb so I used to be like, oh, Lipsky just won a fight. <laughs> Relax on that, man. I'm fading Lipsky whenever I have a chance because she's cute, she strikes, but you get her into like, a grappling situation, she's just ratchet, terrible. So the win over Lipsky is her best win, round two, ground and pound. And in that fight, you see Lipsky like, on the feet, she's okay, on the ground, just completely out of, out of, out of sorts. Then her prior fight against Caitlyn Chu Kagan, she loses that fight by decision. But you know, everyone loses by by decision to Caitlin Chukagan. She's, you know, she's a technician. She works you, you know. Um, her prior fight, um, you know, she goes ahead and wins against Lucia Padilova. Not, not so bad. Okay. Padlova was eight and four at the time, you know, kind of a middling okay fighter. It was a UFC fight. And then her prior fight, 2019, she loses a split decision to Roxanne Mata Like, oh my goodness. Like, I love Roxanne Modafferi. You know, she's a veteran of the sport. She's fought, like, what they say, like 40-some-odd fights, unofficially the most fights ever for women in UFC or MMA. Um, but my goodness, going back now, 2019, Roxanne was still a shell of her, whatever she was initially in her early part of her career, and she lost to her. So for Shevchenko, losing to girls like Roxanne Martaferri, Kaitlyn Kagan, Andrea Lee, those are her last three losses from 2019 and now, last two years, I think Casey O'Neill is a substantially better fighter than Andrea Lee and Roxanne Montefiore. I'm not going to say that about Kaylin Chukaglin. Chukagan is a technician. She's amazing. But I do think Casey O'Neill is substantially better than Andrea Lee and Montefiore at this time right now. So looking at uh, the fight history there for Shevchenko, we did review her fights against uh, Lee, which the link is in the description. And we also reviewed the fight against Lipsky. So you find both those links in the description if you want to watch those fights yourself. Um, let's talk a little bit about Casey O'Neill, the fire starter. So, her background's interesting. She grows up with her dad, who's like gets her into martial arts, a little karate, little BJJ stuff, a little kickboxing action. Then they move from Scotland when she's like nine years old. They move to Australia, to the coast of Australia. In Australia, her dad starts an MMA promotion, starts doing an MMA promoting, whatever, in the early stages, early stages of, the, of MMA growing up, um, or at least MMA expanding in that part of the world. So he's one of the first promoters doing it out there. And at first, he's like, no, my daughter's never doing MMA. And at the time, hardly any women were fighting MMA. It just wasn't really glorified at any point. So his daughter's doing kickboxing. She's doing BJJ. He's encouraging her to do that, and she's fine. Meanwhile, she's like nine years old, fighting like 12, 13-year-old boys in kickboxing and BJJ and kicking their ass. So she's like growing up to this system. Her dad's promoting MMA fights. And then eventually, she's like, Dad, I want to do the MMA thing. He finally like, all right, fine, I'll let you do it. Now he's fully behind her. Obviously, she's seven. No, She's doing great, and she looks wonderful. But this is a girl who grew up playing a lot of sports, was like on five different soccer teams, got kicked off every single soccer team because she was just too aggressive. Uh, went to five different schools as a kid because she kept fighting with kids in the school and then had to do online learning. Um, so just just a real warrior. Uh, her partner, by the way, his name is Ty. He's a Bellator fighter. Um, so she's surrounded by her dad, her boyfriend, um, all day, every day, mixed martial arts. She seems to love it, really enjoy it. And she fights with, like, an edge, right? She's got, like, something different about her, a chip on her shoulder. Like, she's not going to go undefeated in her career. She'll at some point hit hit a, a bump in the road. But even when she hits that bump in the road, I look forward to it. It's going to be a war. This girl is built a little different. She's got a little something different about her, the way she pushes forward. And the fights that we reviewed for her, we reviewed the fight versus Dobson back in, um, that was in 2021, which I should note. This is her third fight this year, by the way. It's the third time that Casey O'Neill's fighting this year. Girl's busy. She wants to fight. She's got, like I said. She's got a chip on her shoulder. She's trying to prove something. Again, Shayna Dobson. Now Shayna Dobson's four and five in her career. Whatever. Not not a, not a great mat you know measuring stick for how good or bad Casey O'Neill is. But it's the way that Casey O'Neill beats her. Like how many girls are finishing three fights in a row? She finishes her UAE Warriors fight, ground and pound round two versus Christina. And then she finishes her first ufc fight against shana dobson round two then she finishes her second ufc fight in, in, in round three with a rear naked choke this girl's finished three straight fights and actually four of her last six fights she's finished them so that's interesting and the way she came at shana dobson was very aggressive like she got up in this girl's grill right off the rip got in her face pushed her back took a few shots from and was like Nah, i'm good Punched her right back. And then and you can see Shayna, like, damn, this white girl ain't going to go back from my punches. Like, she's going to keep coming forward. So, round one clearly goes to Casey O'Neill. She rubs up Shayna Dobson, puts her on the ground, gets her on the ground easily, fast, quickly, by the whole deal. Round two, she comes out, pushes the pace again, pushes Shayna Dobson into the world of just dark, dark, deep waters. And Shayna Dobson has nothing for her. And probably asking herself, who the fuck is this young girl coming here, 6 0, like just out of nowhere, and just roughing me up? Because when you look at them physically, you're like, oh, Shayna Dobson, like, you're know, black, kind of. Jack looking, physical. Casey o'neill kind of looks like you know like a marathoner type of thing. There's some little meat in her legs, though. Casey o'neill is legit. I think this girl's going places. I think that 7-0 turns into 8-0. Um, I like her a lot. I think the money line of minus 220 has got a ton of value. I would parlay her and uh and just about anything. Because I feel like she is such she's to me one of the most favorite, like solid, solid picks in this card. Um, and partially because of the matchup. You know, like she's a grappler, a wrestler, and really good at it, and really good at BJJ. And Antonina Shevchenko is not good at that. And that's one of her biggest weaknesses. So um, weaknesses for O'Neal, biggest weaknesses is that her experience, she needs more experience. She needs to fight tougher competition. I don't see anything else in her game. That's a problem in terms of Antonina. What's her weaknesses, her age. She's 13 years older. She's 36 years old. Like a 23 year old whippersnapper on top of that, to say the least, her, her ground game situation is shaky. Okay. It's very, very shaky. Whenever she fights decent competition, it's like she's 50-50. You know what I mean? Again, back to her record. When she's fighting decent competition for Shevchenko, she'll win against Lipsky. She'll lose against Andrea Lee. She'll lose against Kagan. She'll win against Pud- Pudlov. She'll lose against Roxanne Mataferi. You know, so what you're seeing there is, I mean, you're seeing the reality. I mean, she's lost three of her last five fights. She's Every other fight she's winning and losing. I give her credit. I don't know how this fight got matched up. She's taking a fight that she can't win, as far as I'm concerned. She cannot win this fight. Kaysuda wins this fight like nine times out of ten you know i don't see a way that 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 uh that casey o'neill does not win this fight i also feel like 23 years old versus 36 like the mentality's got to be totally different man the 36 year old knows that her sister is a champion of the world like i mean she's never going to be at that level that her sister's at she's getting older I mean, dare I say, this is one of her last few fights, possibly in mixed martial arts. And why would you just stick with your sister, help train her, help manage her money. You guys would be good. Be her manager. You know what I mean? Stop fighting. So I think that the the mindset of a 23 year old Scottish Australian tough ass, tough ass girl coming in here against a 36 year old who, you know, look, you've only fought a handful of MMA fights and hasn't really worked out for you the way that maybe it worked out in the kickboxing ring. So. I love Casey O'Neal to win the fight. Um, I feel like she's got all the tools to do this. And I think what's going to happen is she's going to drag this fight to the ground. And who knows? Does she get her fourth finish in a row? Like, does she get a finish here over Shevchenko? Does Shevchenko get finished now twice in a row against Andrea Lee and then this young up-and-coming fighter? Man, the, the, the how the how the how the winds would swing here differently for Shevchenko, because back in 2020 when she beat Lipsky, it was like oh, okay we have got another you know Shevchenko making a move, and then boom the brakes get hit there in early part of uh, this year when she loses in May to Andrea Lee. So we'll see what happens here, but I love Casey O'Neal. I encourage you guys to look at some of her film, and she is dominant. She's dominant. So we're on Casey O'Neill to win the fight. Here we go for the main event on the prelims. It's going to be a lightweight bout between two American fighters, Joe Selecki and Jared Flash Gordon. Now, Gordon 17 17-4 overall, 3-2 and two in his last five fights. He's currently plus 120 in the money line, so just about to pick him. He's from Queens, New York. He actually started fighting at a very young age. His grandfather was a professional boxer. He's been boxing since he was like 6-7 years old. He's 33 years old at this time, 5'9", 68-inch reach. He's training out of Renzo Gracie Academy. He's also done some training at Sanford MMA, so very good gyms. As for Joe Selecki, 11-2 overall. 5-0 oh in his last five fights. Slight favorite here at minus 140 in the money line. He's from Wilmington, North Carolina, but born in New Jersey. He's 28 years old, 5'9", with 70 and a half inch reach. So his story was that around like 6-7 years old, he wanted to do like karate, like the Power Rangers. So his mom gets him into like some karate program. Little does she know it's actually a BJJ program. So from the age of 6 years old, this guy's been doing BJJ and he's quite badass. At it. He's a black belt in BJJ. His wrestling game is not to be uh, overlooked though. So he uses the wrestling to also help him get into some positions to use his BJJ. Anyway, very good athlete. He trains at Salty Dog Jiu Jitsu and Jim O. So also very good gyms. Both fighters, a lot of similarities. These guys are very evenly matched. You know, obviously age-wise, are same kind of bracket. Skill-wise, very similar. The build is very similar. Um, you know, both five foot nine respectively. Slight reach advantage there for Joe Selecki. Let's talk here. Let's get let's get get it out the way here. Jared Flash Gordon. Um, if you don't know, this guy's a recovering drug addict, and uh, you know anyone who's been through something like that. Not me personally, but I've known people who've been through it, and uh, it's quite a battle. He's had quite the war with it. Um, It's not been a battle. It's been a war. He's actually been pronounced dead at times from overdosing. He's had three or four overdoses. Um, And what really is messed up for him is it's all led from or stemmed from um, an injury. You know, initially at the age of 19 or 20, he gets injured, has a hand injury, starts taking some prescription drugs, gets addicted to heroin has a whole bout with, you know, homelessness. At the age of 23, he's homeless, like he's on the street, he's panhandling, robbing, you know, for a living, doing all these different things to maintain his habit. Eventually, he gets clean, goes to rehab, gets himself back into fighting, fights Jeff Lent in 2015, gets his orbital broken, right? So you know what's going to happen. Gets the surgery, gets the painkillers, gets re-addicted, has a, has a freaking overdose. Um, in 2015, he's pronounced legally dead. He's brought back from the freaking dead. Um, gets clean, and so far, so good at, at the current, you know, um, you know, point in his life where he's trying to rehab him. You know, well, I shouldn't say rehab, you know, drug addiction is a lifelong battle. And so right now he's winning that fight. Um, I have to tell you, it's hard for me not to root for this guy here. Um, I like Joe Selecki, but in breaking down this fight, I'm going to tell you that I have a strong bias to Jared Gordon. Um, I just really want to see this guy do well. Um, I feel like, you know, he needs a good lucky break or two in his life, you know? I would love to see him win. And I do think this fight's evenly matched. I think when it comes down to it, There's a slight edge for Joe Selecki in one department, and that's finishing ability. Okay, when you look at the cardio, very evenly matched these two guys. Experience-wise, very similar. One guy's fought, you know, 13 fights. Jerry Gordon's fought a little bit more, but in terms of competition experience, very, very similar. Schedule-wise, very similar. Um, IQ in the ring, they both know how to grapple. They both know how to use grappling to help save themselves. In the fight that Joe Selecki fought last against Jim Miller, he dominates Jim Miller in round two and three, but he does lose round one, and he does get cracked in early round two. Not stunned, he just gets cracked. So, you know, Selecky's hittable. He's had some moments. He did lose round one against Jim Miller. Um, could he get out-wrestled for a part of a round here against Jared Gordon? Could he end up in his back and then not be able to get up like he did against Jim Miller for a round here against Jared Gordon? Yeah. Um. I also love the way that Jared Gordon kicks. If you look at Jared Gordon's last fight, he went ahead and fought... Um. Yeah, he fought Chavez back in... Uh, I don't say May or April of this year. He came in as a p- slight dog here at plus 100. He ends up kicking the hell out of Chavez's leg in round one, has Chavez uncomfortable. He ends up backing Chavez up, wins the fight through grappling, through striking, wins it every which way, shape, or form. And he came in there as a slight dog. You saw like an evolution there for Gordon a little bit. You know, the guy's been through a lot, man. I would never put it this way want to put money against a dude who's been dead he came back from the dead you know what i'm saying like that's the kind of guy you just don't want to bet against so in this fight here i'm going to favor joe Selecki ever so slightly but i'm not going to bet this fight with any kind of confidence i'm going to watch it maybe i do a live bet situation here but there's a lot of similarities between these two guys there's a dog inside of Jared gordon that just can't be quite measured a level that just, you know, you don't have a, you can't put your finger on it. And then for Joe Selecki he's got this like spry, late twenties, very athletic. He looks sharper, looks cleaner in his exchanges. Looks like he's got a better leg kicking game to the body. At least I'm sorry. Yeah. His leg kicking game to the body and kicking into the head is probably better, but the lower leg kicking, the calf kicking game of Jared Gordon is something that every fighter who goes against him has to be worried about. Now um, looking just more specifically um, at recent fights here for, for Joe Selecki. He came off of also a nice, nice win against Austin Hubbard. Look at that fight. Round one, rear naked choke. I think Austin Hubbard is a decent fighter, okay? And you have to look at Joe Selecki's fight history in general and say, look, he's coming in here after contender series win 2019 over James Wallace. Since then, Matt Wyman, Austin Hubbard, Jim Miller, all three fights, all three wins for him, his first three UFC fights with one fight coming by a rear naked choke. So he's shown some finishing ability. He showed it in the regional scene before he got to the UFC, and he showed it here also in the UFC, and he's 3-0 in the UFC. So there's not a lot of reasons not to like this kid. You know what I mean? For Jared Gordon, yeah, he's coming in here with a few wins in a row, okay? Um, but he's also had some losses. Now, they were good good losses. Charles Oliveira, Joaquim Silva, Diego Ferreira. So those are his losses back to 2018 and 19, respectively. But he's beat Chris Fishgold and Danny Chavez recently to come to this fight. I just think when you go like mano-a-mano mano here, ever so slight win for Selecki, you got to like the prop bet of Selecki by decision. I think he gets the a little bit of a wrestling advantage. I think the striking is going to be interesting. Now, here's the wild card: does someone get caught? You know, does someone get pieced up and caught? And so I, that I, I don't know. I, I don't see that happening. When you're looking at their fight history, there's a lot of decision wins for these guys. Um, there are some finishes. You know, again, Austin Hubbard did get finished by Selecki. Um, for Jerry Gordon, you know, Gordon, look at his last actually. What, one, two, three, four. His last four wins: Chavez, Fishgold, Moret and diaz always back to all way back to 2017 all by decision here for jared gordon so he's a decision guy um got a lot of durability so like he's coming here a decision too i think that by decision for seleki that's the prop you want to look at don't even know what that is right now but ever so slightly on the side of seleki not betting this fight with any kind of confidence um and i'm not going to parlay it so that's where i'm at guys let me know what you think in the description here because i respect both these fighters again i have a bias here so that's that's why i'm also backing off this fight forgive me here i just don't want to get involved with a fight where i have an emotional like attachment to a guy that i'm like rooting for and i want to see him win i don't want to see him lose so that's the breakdown guys good luck with this one cheers The main card opens up here with a lightweight bout between two American fighters, Alex Hernandez and Mike Breeden. Now, Hernandez is 29 years old, the younger of the two. He's 12 and four overall, two and three in his last five fights, five foot height with 72 inch reach. As for Mike Breeden, he's 32 years old. This will be his UFC debut. He's 10 and three overall, four and one in his last five fights ten in height with 70-inch reach. Now, Breeden did fight in the contender series in 2020. He lost that bout by decision, and so neither him nor the person he fought, which was Romero, uh, got a f- invite to the UFC, but he's getting a uh, last-minute replacement notice here. So here's his opportunity, right? And for striking offensive numbers, Breeden's landing four strikes per minute. He's absorbing just under six strikes per minute, so not a good ratio there. For takedown offense, he's averaging zero takedowns per 15 minutes but he's defending at 77% rate. So that's a pretty good defense rate for Braden, but it looks like he's getting no takedowns. So like no Muay Thai takedowns, trips, no wrestling, none of that stuff is part of his game. It's pretty much just stand up and striking. For Alex Hernandez, um, he's landing just about 3.57 strikes per minute. He's absorbing 3.81. So decent ratio, just about even. For takedowns, he's landing 1.6 takedowns per 15 minutes or a takedown and a half per fight. His takedown defense is 62%. That shouldn't be tested here. Again, Breeden is not a takedown artist by any means. As for topology, Hernandez is a big favorite, getting 93% of the votes, and it makes sense here. You've got a late replacement fighter in Breeden. It is his UFC debut. For Hernandez, you know, that 7% that's going against him, that's going for Breeden, it's because Hernandez has gotten starts a few times. Um, He's been a favorite in some fights and and gotten beaten. For example, that Thiago Moises fight, which the link is in the description for that fight. We watched that fight, and look, he was a minus 225 favorite or so coming into that fight. He ends up just getting outclassed. Both guys land shots, but Moises just landed the cleaner shots. And I think with Alex Hernandez, this becomes sort of like his threshold. When he fights guys like Thiago Moises, he kind of comes up short. You know, that's sort of his limitation. Let's look at his recent fight history. For Hernandez, he lost against guys like Drew Dober. And that fight against Drew Dober, he loses round two by, punch, by punches. It's like a TKO. He gets overwhelmed. It wasn't the knockout that was so bad. It's just you could tell. If they fought five times... Dober would win all five times. Dober just pushed the tempo the entire time. He had Alex Hernandez backing up. Hernandez could not do anything to stop him. Hernandez did get a takedown or two, but Dober just got right back up. Hernandez got hurt and then secured actually two takedowns after getting hurt, which is impressive for Hernandez in terms of a fighter IQ standpoint. It's good to see that he knows that he had a takedown when he gets hurt. But in terms of him fighting against guys like Dober or Thiago Moises, he also lost against Donald Cerrone, he got knocked out by Cerrone. So, like, Cerrone's still capable Cerrone, not the old Cerrone now, but, like, guys like that level, it's just too much for Hernandez. I think Hernandez is definitely a UFC-level fighter. I just don't believe he's, like, a top-10 contender in this division. So, he's better than a guy like Breeden. I do believe that. If you look at Breeden's, like, last fight when he fought a guy named Compton, that guy he fought named Compton is barely a 500-level fighter. Not very good, like, not skilled, put it that way. And Breeden struck with him for three rounds and couldn't get him out of there. Um, and at one point, actually in round one, Breeden almost got submitted. Uh, the link for that film's in the, descri- in the description as well. If you watch that film, if you'd like, but Breeden almost gets submitted one round one via arm bar. It's kind of like the bell saves him. He's in an arm bar position, about to tap, and the bell saves him. So, um, yeah, in that fight, it was was kind of too close for your comfort and he's fighting a guy who's very low level so now he comes in here against a guy like Alex hernandez who look say what you want about hernandez he's got he's been shitty in the past he's he's had his knockouts he got knocked out by drew dober he got knocked out by donald Cerrone. so look we, we know that but otherwise he's got wins over guys like olivier olivier alban mercier oam he's also beaten to banil and he actually knocked dariush out in 2018 in round one he's beaten francisco ginaldo as well and his most recent one was Chris Gutzmacher, which that wasn't a great test. Chris Gutzmacher is like, ugh, he's like, I don't know, like walking Frankenstein, very hittable. But his last two losses, Dober and Moises, are not bad. But again, it, tells you, it shows you shows you shows you, excuse me, where Hernandez is in terms of like the pecking order. And so in the future, we'll kind of review his film in the future and also consider that when we look at his next opponents for this fight here. It's a slam dunk. The problem is it's minus 550, so what do you do? You're just parlaying it. Um, I did post some parlays already on our Twitter uh, Twitter feed for what we're looking to do with this. Um, it's only a parlay piece. That's all you can do. And honestly, I think you're very, very confident with this piece because Breeden is lower level. It's his first UFC fight. He's coming here last minute. You I know, mean, all For all intents and purposes, this should be an easy win here for Alex Hernandez. Now, he was supposed to fight initially. Um, I did want to look that up. I don't even have that available to me, but he was supposed to fight someone else initially, and I'm sure it was going to be a tougher opponent than this last minute replacement guy. So for Breeden, hey, welcome to the UFC, but you're going to deal with some pressure and pace, a very athletic guy. Um, It should be noted Alex Hernandez had a very good high school wrestling career, and obviously amateur wrestled before that, even like middle school as a youth, then went to college, wrestled in college. Um, So the guy's got a really good wrestling game. He's built like he's in wonderful shape, obviously takes care of himself. Um, he's into nutrition the whole nine Um, he's on a winning lose win lose type of streak and so he's coming off of a loss at Thiago Moises prior to that he won against Chris Grutzmacher prior to that he lost against Drew Dober then before that he won against Francisco Cernaldo before that he lost against Donald Cerrone (coughs) excuse me before that he won against OAB so the dude has not won two fights in a row since 2018 which was Benil Dariush and OAM back to back pretty nice impressive wins since then, he's dropped those fights against Dober, Ceroni, and Thiago Moises. So long as some, like, lightning doesn't strike here and, you know, breeding catches him with the luckiest of all punches, I see Hernandez pushing the pace, the tempo, probably even getting the finish here. He hits very hard. He's very athletic. And like a lot of fighters, when he's confident and he's got, like, the momentum and he's, like, you know, he feels that he's the better fighter – um, when he's in those kind of fights, like the fight against Chris Gruetzmacher, if you watch that film, that link is also in the description. When he's fighting Chris Gruetzmacher, he just he knows he's got the tempo. He's got the pace. He's pushing the guy to his heels. He's he's landing quicker punches. He's he's got swiftness. He's got he's got clean jabs. Everything is working for him because he's got that mojo. He's got that vibe. It's like when you go for a pickup basketball game and you walk, you know, you get in the court. You make your first shot or two, and you're like, I'm feeling it. I'm good. Same thing for Hernandez. Like a lot of fighters, he gets into a rhythm. If he feels that confidence early, he should be able to overwhelm Breeding in every way, shape, or form. And quite frankly, if this goes to the decision. That is almost as good as an L for Hernandez. He should be able to finish a guy of this level. He's got some finishing power. Breeden's a late replacement. As for Breeden, his goal should be just to get to the scorecard. If he could just survive three rounds and show the UFC, listen, at least I can survive three rounds, that would be nice. Because otherwise, I fear that he probably gets his ass get beat here pretty badly and gets starched and get out of here probably within the first two rounds. So that's our breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Next up is the one and only women's fight in the main card in the Bantamweight division between two American fighters, Aspen Ladd and Macy Chasson. Macy's 7-1 and one overall. She's from Dallas, Texas, 30 years old, 5'11 in height with 72-inch reach. She trains at Fortis MMA. As for Aspen Ladd, she's 9-1 overall. She's from Pioneer, California, 26 years old, 5'6 in height with 66-inch reach. And she's coming out of MMA Gold Fight Team. So both training at good gyms. In terms of size wise, there's a significant height and reach advantage there for Macy Chasson, which lends to the way that she fights. She's a very long fighter. She uses a jab, kicking game, um, and we'll talk more about that when we break down the film here. Now, according to Tapology, uh, Ladd is a big favorite, getting 84% of the votes. And if you look at the money line, you can see that um, Aspen Ladd is obviously the big favorite here, approximately at minus 280 compared to you can get Macy Chasson at plus 225. Now. If you look at Macy Johnson, there are a lot of reasons why you can you can say that you know she's got a chance in this fight. Maybe she could win. She's fought some decent fighters. She's on a two-fight winning streak. Um, she beat Shana Young. Shana Young's on this card. Uh, tough, durable fighter who likes to wrestle. Um, I see some similarities between Shana Young and Aspen Lad. Uh, now, just to be clear here, we're on uh, Aspen Ladd to win the fight, but I do want to make sure we break down as to why it's not just like oh, she's the favorite, and uh, you know she's 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 pretty good. Um, Looking specifically at the the recent fights, I do believe that Aspen Ladd, um, in her recent fight that she lost against uh, Jermaine uh, Durandamy, she definitely gets clocked, Uh, she definitely gets her bell rung, but that is a quick stoppage, I don't even think that fight should have been stopped at that point, I believe that at that point in the fight she was still very much had her wits about her, was just trying to sort of you know grapple and get ready to keep going, Um, it was just a quick stoppage. I'd like to see what happens if that fight goes on. Um, You know, she's a tough girl. Aspen Ladd's a very tough fighter. She pushes tempo. She's beaten some pretty decent fighters in the UFC. But the way she fights, her her pushing of pace and pushing of tempo, being in your face, pushing you back on your heels, that alone is going to put Macy Chasson with her back against the cage. Kind of shorten the distance, not let Macy Chasson use that long distance, and eventually at some point you're going to see also Lad close the distance enough to get a body lock, bring her to the ground. Now Aspen Lad's averaging just under three takedowns per fight, whereas Macy Chasson's averaging like .5 or .6 takedowns per 13, per 15 minutes or per you know three-round fight. So if a takedown's going to happen, it's most likely Lad's taking down Chasson, and that lends to her, you know, again, her strength. She's a little bit shorter of a fighter. Um, she's good at wrestling she likes to take fighters to the ground Um, she's nasty she gets some type of fighters she starts pounding them out she's yelling like ha 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 so she's um you know she's got a dog to her she's tough if you look at macy Macy chasson's last few fights and even look at all of her recent wins actually i would argue she's fought very convenient like lower level fighters and even when she fought shana young recently i want to remind everyone that fight against shana young and the link is in the description shana young was coming there last minute it was at high elevation and Shady Young still went the distance and was like tough and you know gave her a hard time. Um I mean Chase Chassan still won the fight, but round one, specifically, I'd say the first minute and a half of round one, Chassan is trading with Shane Young and Chassan's got damage on her face. She has to sort of like adjust her game plan and she realizes wow, this girl came in here to bang. So her last fight against Mariana Renault, I mean Renault's like forty two years old or so. Now Chasson looks good. Her striking looks good. She even gets a takedown or so. Um so you know, I mean, it looks okay on paper. But before that, who else did she beat? She bought, She beat Sarah Moraz, Gina Mazzani, um, and then in Ultimate Fighter, she, bought, she beat Pani Kianzad. So that really, in, in reality, Pani Kianzad may be one of her most notable wins, and that was back in the Ultimate Fighter. So, you know, looking at all that and just sort of keeping everything in perspective, I don't see any, like, real notable wins um, here for, for Macy Chausson. I haven't really seen her, I guess, really be tested. And when she was tested one time with Lena Landsberg, she lost the fight, and you're saying Lena Landsberg. Who's that? Lena Landsberg... Is a very much average fighter that was back 2019. Lena Landsberg is 10 and 5 overall. Okay, they went the distance and Macy Chasson lost that fight by decision. That was back 2019. So again, since then, she's beaten a very old fighter in Marianne, Marianne Renault and she's beaten a fighter in Chenyon who came in last minute at high elevation, had all the cards stacked against her. Now, as for Aspen Ladd, She's coming off of a nice beatdown of Yana Kunitskaya, round three, finishes her out, ground and pound. Um, the prior fight, again, we talked about that, Jermaine ran to me. I don't think she should have. that fight should have been stopped. The fight should have been kept going. So her prior fight, she beats Sajara Eubanks, which, you know, that's aging well because Sajara has kind of bounced back recently, had a few wins. And Sejara is very strong. And matter of fact, I want to say she beat Sajara Eubanks twice, um, both times by decision. Um, Her other win, by the way, just some MMA math, she fought Lena Landsberg, and she beat Lena Landsberg round two, ground and pound, beat her up. So just MMA math-wise, there's also another reason why you want to also be on the side of Aspen Ladd. So anyway, long story short, I like the way Aspen Ladd fights. She's going to be the one pushing tempo. She's going to be the one that's going to go ahead and force, you know, the ring to get a little smaller. And I think at some point, Macy Chasson is going to get tagged a little bit. Um, I would not be shocked if the fight gets stopped at some point because Aspen Ladd's pace and pressure and just crowding her, laying on top of her, beating her up on the ground. But just overall, even if that doesn't happen, I see safely this is a safe bet here. And around minus 280 to minus 300... Um, I have parlayed, um, you know, this uh, this fight here with a few different bets and some other other action as well. So I do like here, again, Aspen Light a lot. I understand why people are on her. If you like Macy Chasson, comment. Let me know in the comment section. Again, as usual, as a new feature we're adding, if you look in the description section of, of this video, you'll find links here to prior fights of these fighters. And those are the fights that we reviewed when we were making this uh, video. So thank you for coming by. Thanks for joining us for the breakdown. Um, hit a like, subscribe. Thank you. Peace. Next fight. Next up, we've got a battle between two European fighters, Misha Sirkinov and Christoph Jocko. Jocko hails from Poland. He's twenty-two and five, three and two in his last five fights. Currently, a slight favorite in the money line at minus one sixty-ish. That's been moving around. Thirty-two years old, six foot one in height, with seventy-seven inch reach. He comes out of Planet Eater. As for Misha Sirkinov, he's from Latvia, but he actually now lives in Canada. So I think he's got Canadian citizenship, specifically from Toronto. He's thirty-four years old, six foot three in height, with a seventy-seven inch reach. Overall record of 15 and 6, and he's 2 and 3 in his last five fight's, fights. He's training out of Extreme Couture in Toronto, so very good, gym. All right, so Tapology has these guys uh, lined up fairly even. One of the closest fights here in terms of the public vote. Serkanov's getting 52% of the votes, and Jocko's getting 48% of the votes. This breakdown right here is going to be uh, fairly short and sweet and to the point. Um, let me take a little story here. I did wager on Misha Serkanov in his last fight. And i got to give you reasons why. Number one, he's built like a Greek god. (laughs) The dude looks like he can pretty much just, like, crush you. Um, Second of all, my wife, who was born in Russia, was raised in Latvia. So I have, like, Latvian in-laws and and, and family over in Europe. So I'm like, oh, we got a Latvian fighter. So last time around, I go and I put a wager on him. If you recall that fight, he gets starched a minute and 11 seconds into round one against Ryan Spann. And I remember watching that fight and thinking, okay, that money just went out the window. I, I... I thought he had a chance here, and that was the first time I ever watched Misha, and if you know anything about Misha Surkinov, I'm going to tell you something that most people in the game know. He's lost his last four fights by knockout in round one, and they've been some early ones. For example, going back to 2017 against Vulcan, Aldismir, and that's when this shit all started. 2017, at that point, he comes into that fight. Let me see. His record was like really good. He only had two losses, whatever. He hadn't lost in years. He hadn't lost a fight since 2012. So he's like got a five-year winning streak. He's beaten guys like Ian Kutalaba. He's beaten he's beating some decent competition, right? So things are going well. He goes in there against Vulcan Aldesmere, and round one, 28 seconds, gets knocked out. Okay, so people don't know. They're like, oh, maybe it's just a one type of thing. Next fight, two minutes and 45 seconds against Glover Desher, knockout, gets knocked out again. Then the following fight, he knocks out the opponent in round one. Next fight, Johnny Walker, 36 seconds, he gets knocked out. Next fight against Jimmy Crute, um, he gets a Peruvian necktie, gets a win round one. Um, there's a theme here, right? And then the following fight, which is his last fight, Ryan Span, he gets knocked out round one himself. So he's a round one king. Uh, he's built very well. He's coming down in weight here. He was at 205 there for a little while. Didn't go well. He's moving down here to this weight class at 185. And, you know, his strength and power, that should translate. The lack of speed, uh, the slow boxing, like square boxing and not very fluid technique, but more of like a very rigid You know, um, just not very fluid, just not very fluid bucket style. That's going to even look worse now because you're going down to a lower weight class where guys are a little bit quicker. So a lot of reasons here to fade our our, our guy, Misha Serkinov. I got some personal reasons why I'm a little upset at him from losing that last bet, um, which is my fault. You know, Ryan Spann, obviously, the better fight that night. But also, on a more serious note, like he's got some physical deficiencies here. Um, Also, the weight cut. Could the weight cut with a guy who's built so well, could that weight cut also diminish some of his energy? Questions about his cardio already because he's that guy who's built a lot of muscles, carrying a lot of muscle, that tends to wear guys down pretty quickly. Um, He wants to grapple, wants to get this guy into some submission positions, but if he can't succeed early on and Jocko can survive, then we're talking about he's going to have chin chin issues the entire three rounds. They're going to have maybe some cardio issues in late round two and round three. I think for Jocko, if he could just survive, you know, get out of round two, um, he's probably going to win the end of round two, definitely win round three, maybe pressure the pace and get Misha tired. For Christoph Jocko, he's not necessarily a guy who's like, oh, he's beating a bunch of you know top fighters and looking great. But he did go to decision recently against Sean Strickland, which Sean Strickland's a legitimate fighter. He did beat Eric Anders. He's beat, you know, Mark Andre Barute, and he beat Alan Amadovsky. So look, he's on a, he's on a three and one streak in his last four fights. Obviously, three and five, three of his last five. Lost to Brad Tavares, lost to Uri Hall, lost to David Branch. Um, that was a rough streak for him. But he bounced back from that, like I said, He went on a three fight winning streak and then lost a the decision to Sean Strickland. So you know Jocko's just good enough he's just good enough of a fighter where he comes in here at least survives the first initial onslaught here by Misha sirkinoff he's gonna be fine now there's always that other factor of if, if he could just land a short jab like it's not gonna take much he doesn't have to hit um Misha very hard if you just little short jab on Misha sirkinoff he'll crumble like a like a cheap suitcase end of the fight and so I'm thinking here prop bet you got to look at is obviously the fight does not go the distance I think everyone's gonna be looking at that and I think the knockout prop for um for our guy here, uh, Jocko knocking out Misha circuit is like plus 200. So it's not great, but it kind of shows you the bookies know most likely Misha has a likelihood chance here of getting knocked out. So, anyway, um with all that said, does Misha come in here now and surprise me and, and shit all over my predictions and, and comes in here and just grapples Gr- Jocko and shows how strong he is and he brings the power down to the lower weight division? Yeah, but I just see there's limitations on that. Can he do that for three rounds? I don't know. I don't know. Can he do it for two rounds? Uh, you know definitely one round he could do it i think that first round is going to be the opportunity there for misha maybe to squeeze the hell out of him you know make him uncomfortable maybe get him some ground and pound on, and i just you know overall again i just see holes in the game and for misha off i hate to say it but not that he's gonna get cut after this fight but listen he's, he's 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 shown sort of the chink in the armor everyone knows he's got chin issues if he gets knocked out here round one Hey, man, the reality is if he gets knocked out in round one, yeah, that might be it. That might be it. Um, at that point, like, I don't know who you put him in there with. Everyone knows why you just touch the chin and he's gone. So that's the breakdown, guys. From a betting perspective, I'm going to tell you um, this one I might be staying very far away from. I'm choosing Jocko to win the fight, but I may not wager it at all. I may only put this into, like, that parlay that's just going to be the parlay for every single fight on the, on the card. And if I do that, I would be choosing Jocko to win the fight. <laughs> Next up, we've got the co main event welterweight battle between Nico the Hybrid Price and Alex Cowboy Oliveira. So we've got two fan favorites here on both sides. Cowboy Oliveira has been around for a long time. He usually gets the crowd going, and Nico the Hybrid Price is, uh, you know, he's been around for a little bit, but recently his fan base is sort of you know growing and uh, putting on great fights, very entertaining. He's on a bit of a rough patch here, one, three, and one in his last five fights, uh, but good fighter. He's fourteen and five overall compared to Alex Oliveira, who's twenty two, ten, and one overall. Olivera is also in a little bit of a rough patch, two and three in his last five fights. So let's talk about this. Uh, I'm not going to get all into like individual fighter history. These are very well-known fighters. Most people in the MMA game, um, casual fans, they know who these guys are. Um, let's just talk about this in terms of what most of us know and, and figure out why we're on Nico Price to win the fight. I like Nico Price to win the fight. I will be wagering on this fight, not very aggressively, maybe a half unit straight up on Nico Price and potentially putting him on a few parlays. So here's the thing about Nico Price. He to me is like um a poor man Sean Strickland, okay? So he's got like the mentality, toughness, um rugged, um warrior mentality. Puts on really good fights, okay? So, you know, from that standpoint, he gives you um X factors, right? X factors meaning like he, he's not chinny, um he's um he's very durable, he wants to fight, he's excited to be in there. He's not going to throw the towel in and quit in the middle of a fight, okay? So he's going to be the guy's going to kind of go out in a sword. Now, last few bouts have been tough okay he loses by decision to michael pereira and look michael pereira shows you in that fight that he's just much more skilled quicker sharper and michael pereira is an odd one because he's just an odd fighter and he's got hell of good cardio so for three rounds he's bouncing moving jumping around all kind of wheel kicks crazy kicks but you know that's like the limitation there for nico price like sean strickland if he finds fights michael pereira he's gonna match some of the skill level there with the striking for nico price doesn't have that quite skill level. Gets a little bit loose. Gets a little bit off balance on his feet. So you saw that. His prior fight, no contest um, against Donald Cerrone. But what ends up happening in that fight is actually, um, it was originally ruled a majority draw. Okay, and it just ended up being a positive marijuana test, which I don't know why they do this. But the point is, look, that was a draw, and that's a that's a, that's an okay. I guess it's an okay result on your resume when you look back, like maybe years from now. But at this point. Donald Cerrone in 2020, we know that, that that guy was a shell of himself, so um, not great. Loses by a doctor stoppage round three against Vicente Luque back in 2020. Okay, and then before that, his only wins in the UFC against James Vick and Tim Means. Um, prior to that, he beat Randy Brown and then George Sullivan. So again, Alan Jabou's also another victory. Brandon Thatch. Um, look, the point is, whenever he fought guys like Vicente Luque the first time, he lost. When he fought Hassan, he lost. When he fought Jeff Neal, lost. Luke a the second time. Lost. Pereira lost. So, whenever Nico Price has kind of taken a step up in competition, there's clearly like there's a problem there. Okay, the fans still love him. He's still going. He's still pushing. I want the guy to be around. Like I, I hope this guy never gets cut. Um, you know he's just a, a, a and overall like I think he represents blue collar Americanism, right? Good, you know, good stuff. So all around positive things. I got I got a little bit positive vibes here about this guy. For Alex Oliveira. I'm going to make this really short and sweet. We all know he's fought everyone in the business and his most notable wins going back in the day would be like over they've both beat both beaten Tim means Um, he lost us. He lost to Donald Cerrone. that was back in the day when Donald Cerrone was actually a legit fighter. I mean, you got to, I guess, look, you got to go way back. Um, What would be the most notable win for Cowboy Cerrone? Ask yourself that question. What's the most notable win for him? I mean, is it Carlos Condit back in 2018? Is it Matt Griffin See that's the thing, isn't isn't this kind of interesting with Alex Oliveira? He comes off as the kind of fighter who's like, oh, he's probably been a champion. Like you, you kind of think that he would have been or like had a chance to be. No, he's got a lot of losses against decent guys. You know his last few losses against Randy Brown, um, and Rachmanoff, and Nicholas Dalaby, Mike Perry, Gunnar Nelson, Yanti Medeiros. You know those are all okay fighters. But here's the reality: <laughs> my you know my man Cowboy Oliveira is getting old. Um, I think in the last few fights what i what i don 't like seeing from the thirty three year old is that he 's showed a propensity to tap out quickly um not really fight back too hard except the reality um it 's almost like he 's got like a lifetime contract so he 's like as long as I go out there, show up, do something for a round and a half i 'm getting my money um and I hate to say it, but like we should coin a term here is like is it the, is it the Nick diaz effect like i 'm here i 'm showing up i 'm kind of a veteran, so yeah pay me I did my part um, and in no way shape or form am I going to put some blood on the mat or like get myself like put to sleep so that isn't that bothersome if you're wagering on Oliveira and you like you th- you feel that he's going to win this fight I'm cautioning you in that you wouldn't want to be the guy with him in like a headlock and then he's, he's early tapping out or you know Just something of that nature. So I'm really doubting. I'm fading Alex Oliveira pretty much on anybody he lines up across, even if it's a guy like Nico Price who has skill level deficiencies. Alex Oliveira is definitely a better submission artist than Nico Price. And striking wise, Oliveira probably even has some advantages there over Nico Price. But Nico's going to push tempo at least. And Nico wants to fight and Nico wants to win. So, you know, from that standpoint, I like this. I like for Nico Price. He's coming out of American top team in Cape Corral. Good gym. As for Alex Oliveira, he's coming out of ATS another very good gym as well. So look, both guys are coming in here with a little bit of a they can kind of use a win. I think both guys are staying on the roster either way. There's there's needs there's needs for these kind of guys. Like these guys are somewhat gatekeepers for lower level guys coming up. They're both still in their much, you know, very much in the end, in the ends of their prime maybe for Oliveira who's been around for a little bit. Um, but for Nico Price, he's definitely got someone in the gas tank. I want to see the fight. It should be entertaining. So yeah, just to summarize here, we like Nico Price to win the fight straight up. I'm going to bet him with with more like a fan side like i want him to win i want to see him win, i want to see him do well um could Oliveira get him tied up here could he get some control position could Oliveira just get a submission yeah yeah i mean that's the way it would go right he would move to like you know three and two i guess in his last five fights and then nico would you know fall to 14 and six it's you know this could be fun, though. Either way, we're on uh, Nico Price to win the fight. Good luck with this one, guys. If you're putting money on this fight, uh, let me know in the comments. And as usual, any fights that we reviewed, so I, I mentioned some prior fights of these guys. Any fights that we reviewed, you'll see the links in the description. Enjoy the fight, guys, and let me know in the, in the comments what you're doing here. As always, please like and subscribe. Thanks. The co-main event features a middleweight bout between two American fighters, Kevin Holland and Kyle Dalkis. So Dalkis coming into this fight is 10-2 overall. Very good record. He's slight underdog here at plus 120. He's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Comes out of Martinez, BJJ. He's 28 years old, 6'3 in height with a 76-inch reach. As for Kevin Holland, he's 21-7 and seven overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. A slight favorite coming into this fight from Fort Worth, Texas. Comes out of Travis Luther, BJJ. He's 28 years old, 6'3 in height as well with an 81-inch reach. So, Age wise, identical height wise, identical, a slight reach advantage there for Kevin Holland. Now, most people in the game and most casual fans, they know Kevin Holland. I'm not going to beat you up with a long breakdown here. We kind of know his, his deal to summarize him in a nutshell. Extremely talented, has a lot of the tools, submission game, striking game. He's knocked people out from his back, um, you know, done a lot of impressive things. Also has a tendency to get distracted, has a tendency to do a lot of talking, has a tendency to have more interest in what's going on outside the cage at times than what's going on in the cage, Um, and has a tendency as a better to let you down. Um, Has been in fights where he has that opportunity to win and doesn't seem to want to close the door. So for a lot of reasons, you're you're cautioned when winning the bet on him, but skill-wise, undeniably, has the skill level to go in there with anyone in this division, give them problems, and actually go ahead and submit somebody and finish someone. So as for Kyle Dalkis, you like the record 10-2. You like the momentum. You like that his brother just won last week. Um, so there's a lot of positives with him. He's coming in here just off of a loss to Phil Hawes. He didn't get knocked out. Just lost a decision. Got out grappled. Got out wrestled. Got out position. Lost position points. His prior loss was in 2020 versus Brandon Allen. Again, another decision loss. So The guy's never been stopped in the ring. Very tough. Can take some damage to the face. Um, he's very uh, very light-skinned, and so when he's getting hit, you can see that there's a, a, you know, a redness factor. Um, so he wears the damage, and you can sort of see when he's been punched. So it's never great, um, but you saw that in those fights in the past where he, you know, took a little damage. His best win in the UFC, uh, only win, I'm sorry, was against Dustin Stolfsus, Stolfsus, and that was back in 2020 by decision. Now, look, I think here if we're just taking all the the all the pre all the prejudice that we have about Kevin Holland, because I have some prejudice too. Like I've I've watched him fight, and it's frustrating. It's like you want to tell the dude, like, can you please focus on the fight and just try to do the do that part? Let's not do the extra stuff, you know. Um, and if you even watch his interviews and stuff, like he, he's 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 not a bad guy, but you can just tell that he's he's just doing too much extra. He's that kind of person or that kind of fighter, like just doing a little too much extra, just focusing the fight. But putting all that bias aside, if you're just lining them up skill level wise, Kevin Holland clearly is a much more much I mean much much better fighter in almost every area. Kyle Dalkus is a tough young man. He's going to give you a lot of effort. Um, it's going to be hard for Kevin Holland to maybe get him out of there. Um, But I think Kevin Holland over the course of three rounds gets the win here. And I think for Kevin Holland, um, if there's ever been a little sense of urgency, this would be it, right? Like, it's one thing when he's losing fights against guys like um, his last two losses, against Marvin Marvin Vittori and against, like, Derek Brunson. You know, both, both again, losses where they're by decision. Uh, He never gets hurt. He has a few moments. um, But since knocking out Sosa from his back in 2020, it's been a little like, heh. You know, in, in the Marvin-Vittori fight, I believe he was a replacement, right? Because Vittori was initially supposed to fight somebody else. Um, who was supposed to fight? Pat. Not Pat Talman. Anyway, the point is, he came there late replacement, did his job. He talked about that post-fight. Like, I came in here. I, I did my job. I came in, did the job for the boss. So it's like enough of that. Let's now start winning some fights again. Let's see you meet your potential. Let's hope that's his mentality. So, you know, from all those, for all those reasons, I'm on Kevin Holland to win the fight. I'm not looking at any prop bets. I'm taking the straight up money line in this fight. I think it's fair. I, I would, I would imagine, if Kevin Holland wasn't like, again, didn't have the reputation for being a clown. I guess for lack of better words, a clown. I don't want to call someone a clown, like, and, 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 and paint him as a clown. He's. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. He seems like overall a nice guy, but he he acts clownish. <laughs> Is that the right way of saying it? He acts clownish. So he, since he does that, I'm I'm tagging him a clown. He does that sometimes. Like, I just hope he, sh- he saves the clown behavior for pre-fight and post-fight. And then while he's in the cage, listen, execute your game plan. Do your thing. Show the skill level you have. Because a loss here, by the way, it doesn't end his UFC run by any means. But it is going to be like, whoa, dude. Like now it's going to be like a little bit like let's start looking at the panic meter because now you're losing against a guy like Khaledakis who yes is tough and yes should be in the UFC and, um, and it should be around for a little while but he should not be beating guys like Kevin Holland if you just match him up skill level for skill level so that's our breakdown guys good luck with this fight we're on Kevin Holland to win the fight and and I can see him winning it by submission or by a TKO even doctor stoppage from the damage he's going to do to Khaledakis' face. Or I could also see him winning a very boring decision where he knows he wins round round one and round two, messes around for round three. You know, has Kevin Holland like in a body lock, back control, maybe has him in a head triangle, and just talking to him. Like, I, can you see Kevin Holland on his back with his legs wrapped around Cal neck? in a body triangle, like punching him in the head, but then taking a break and laying on his back, putting his arms up, be like, look, everyone, I won. I'm beating a fighter that's much lower level than I am, a fighter that I should be dominating, but it's just a decision, and I'm okay. Give me my money. So, you know, from that standpoint, he's also How do I say this as well? Kevin Holland could be a little bit frustrating, again, to put your money behind because of all the antics, because of all this stuff. With that said, let's put all that shit aside, just shoop, Kevin Holland's got the skill level to go in here and beat a fighter that he's got, I guess, a whole level above, in my opinion. So we're on Kevin Holland to win the fight. Alright, we're up to the main event. It's a light heavyweight bout between two Brazilian fighters, Thiago Santos and Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker is the younger of the two. He's 29 years old, 18-5 and five overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. Even though he's from Brazil, he actually trains out of Ireland at an SBG, Island, very good gym. He's six foot six in height, the 82-inch reach. Um, coming into this fight right now with a little bit of steam after a knockout, first-round knockout win over Ryan Spann. As for the veteran, Thiago Santos, who's 37 years old, he's 21-9 and nine overall, coming in here 2-3 and three in his last five fights. He's a slight favorite in the money line around 170 to one minus 150 in that range. He's from Brazil, born in Brazil, trains in Brazil at Tata fight team, six foot two in height. So gives up about four inches in the height and 76 inch reach. It'll so also give it about six inches in reach. So. Clearly a height and reach advantage, a youth advantage as well for Johnny Walker. Um, But the experience advantage probably leans more towards Thiago Santos. Let's talk about his recent fights. Coming off of a decision loss to Alexander Rakic and a round three rear naked choke loss to Glover Teixeira. Prior to that, a split decision loss to John Jones. And that's where kind of things... Um, got rough here for Diego Santos. Now, obviously, at 37, age is a factor, but the guy's in great condition, um, has has been in five-round fights before, has shown that he comes in shape. Um, I think he's got just enough. He's just at the edge of his prime. But I don't believe that his age is going to be a big factor, but it is a little bit of a factor. We'll talk more about that. But looking back in 2019, he fights John Jones and one judge gives, gives him that fight. He loses by split decision. And anytime he goes split decision against John Jones, or it's close against John Jones, say what you want to say about the guy. Very talented fighter, super heavy leg kicks. So showed you at that point that that where he was at in the game. Unfortunately, gets really shredded up at his knees, sustains in, in, injuries to his knees that require multiple surgeries. So the kind of fight that maybe you're never the same after. Okay, took a lot of damage. His next fight after that against Glover Teixeira, you see. Him recovering, you see that he's lost an edge. You see that he's lost some quickness. His, his footwork is not the same. He loses round three, rear naked choke. It looked clever to share. Veteran of sport, not the worst loss, but that gives him a two-fight losing streak after beating Jan Blachowicz in round three in 2019. Again, Jan Blachowicz is the champ. Diego Santos knocked him out in round three. So the guy's got hands, got experience. He's beaten people like Eric Anders. He's beaten people like Kevin Holland. He's beaten people like Anthony Smith, Jack Hermanson, Gerald Mearshad. um Look, the, you look at Thiago Santos's resume. He's beaten a lot of guys in the UFC, and most of his losses—if if, most, if not all of his losses, especially even the recent ones—are against quality guys. And even going back in the day, he lost against Jor- Gargamus Muirshat. He lost against Musassi, Uriah Hall. Um, I get the low, lower level losses against like guys like David branch and ever spicy, not great. But the point is he's got a resume. He's got experience. The guy's been around the block. Um, I think in terms of the fighter experience, fighter IQ, I'm giving him a slight edge, you know, over, over a younger fighter like Johnny Walker. Now for Walker looking at him, I think he's sort of like the flavor of the month flavor of the week type of thing. And that could extend to him becoming maybe, you know, a top shelf fighter here, but the knockout win over Ryan span via elbow, on standing up on the feet it was super impressive very nice highlight kind of a win and so that you know that's what's coming into this fight right now you got that coming in it's affecting the money line i think if he doesn't win that fight in that manner and maybe by decision or something else then maybe this this money line is a little bit more in favor of thiago santos maybe santo's like minus 200 or so because santos clearly has the resume has fought the better fighters and beat the better guys yeah, he's a little bit older, but he's still got enough in the tank to get in here in and, and, and a rumble with a guy like Johnny Walker. Walker, coming off of two, two of his last three wins, two of his last three fights have been losses. He lost to Corey Anderson, lost to Nikita Krak- Krakow. Look at those fights. Corey Anderson just backs him up, walks him down, knocks him out first round, hurts him. And Corey Anderson, not for nothing, but he is, I would say that Diego Santos is a level above a guy like Corey Anderson. So, you know, for Walker to get walked down two years ago and beat up by Corey Anderson, now you're coming in there with a guy like Diego Santos, who's got a lot of experience, very durable, you know, yeah, it's going to be tough for him. Now, his other wins in the UFC for um, Johnny Walker, he knocked out Misha who who's obviously on this card. We talked about him earlier. He uh, knocked out Justin Ledet um, with a spinning backfitch, which was really nice. He also elbowed and knocked out Khalil Roundtree Round 1. So, you know, looking at his UFC debut, Roundtree, Knocks him out. Second fight, knocks him out. Third fight, knocks him out. Then goes ahead, and he gets knocked out by Corey Anderson. Next fight, loses to Nikita Krylov. So he kind of started off there with night nice three fights in a row, got those three wins, knocking people out, gets that momentum, then runs to the wall with Corey Anderson. Another disappointing loss to Krylov, and then he beats Ryan Span. No offense to Ryan Spann. I think it depends on what kind of Ryan Span shows up that night. He ends up getting caught with an elbow. So there's a lot of questions here about Johnny Walker. Again, age is a factor because if you're looking at how the fight un- unravels in round three, four, five, That could be a factor. Maybe Diago Santos getting to that point in his career where, you know, everything's slowing down, metabolism, the whole nine. But then let's flip it over. Johnny Walker has shown, even going back to his time in Contender Series, he has shown that he has an issue after round two. This is a five-round fight. So if this fight gets to round three, four, five, I'm thinking Thiago Santos has the experience. The cardio, he, dude's built amazingly. He's fought at 185, 205 right now. This is his perfect weight. It's great for him. He's got the power, the cardio, his chin, it all checks out. So I think if this fight gets to later rounds, it's going to be clearly in the favor of Thiago Santos. I think early round one, first round altogether, Johnny Walker, that's going to be his most dangerous opportunity to do something here and push the veteran. But there's also no other advantages. Thiago Santos is a bit of a better grappler. He's got some BJJ in his back his back pocket. They're both Brazilian, but when it comes to grappling, when it comes to, you know, wrestling, when it comes to ground game, I give a significant advantage also to Diago Santos. So all around I like Diago Santos. Now, betting-wise, yeah, I don't feel great. Um, I've made some parlays this week already in different sports and combined some different things. This has not been one of them. I'll bet the, stri- the fight straight up because I just want some action on it. I'll probably put a half a unit, and that for me is $50, on Thiago Santos to win the fight just straight up. But I'm going to enjoy it. I'm just looking forward to seeing it. If Walker comes out the younger fighter, um, you know, demands the center of the octagon um lands some strikes uses his his, his, his height advantage i mean we got to talk about that four inches right four inch height advantage six inch reach advantage he should be able to use his advantage there but you know Thiago santos is smart he's crafty he can get in close he can get the fight up against the fence he can get the fight where he wants it to be at and he's very strong you know he's still got old man strength right he's 37 compared to 29 years old he's still got that old man strength it's going to be a great fight it's a nice matchup they did a good job with this main event here i'm looking forward to it so either way let us know in the comments which side you're going on as usual we put the links in the comments for any fights that we reviewed for this fight we did look at a handful of fights here the fights we looked at were the ryan, ryan Spann fight versus uh, johnny walker we also did the Corey anderson fight for johnny walker we reviewed the alexander rockage fight for santos along with the glover to share a fight and the john jones fight so take a look at that john jones by the way look at that film it's a shame what's happening to him recently i hope i i hope that he number one is held responsible for the things that he did that were inappropriate, so that he can you know pay his penance and do those things and 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 be you know get even with the public because people want him to pay his you know you know pay his, his price. Um, secondly, re- rehabilitate his image and, and get himself back on track because when you watch film of him, he has special special talents and shame that he's gotten off the tracks and but he's got to pay for his his his, uh, his mistakes. I do I do also want to make sure I drive home that. So anyway, that's the uh, main card, that's the main event, and good luck with this one, guys. Okay, there's our full card breakdown, guys. I'm going to give you a quick summary of our favorite picks to win each fight. We'll start with the main event, and we'll go all the way back down to the prelims. All right, we like Thiago Santos, Kevin Holland, Nico Price, Christoph Jocko, Aspen Ladd, Alexander Hernandez, Joe Selecki, Casey O'Neill, Carol Rosa, Devante Smith, Gaetano Perello, Stephanie Egger, and alejandro perez so those are our favorite picks to win each fight we're not going to discuss any props here at the end we'll save that for our prop show thank you very much for joining us um as usual we want to remind you the links in the description are there for any prior fights if you want to watch prior fights on any of these fighters which i recommend you're doing if you're wagering do some of your own research and see what you find from past fights you might see something that we maybe missed or something that'll tip you off to bet one way or the other best of luck on any wages you're placing if you're not betting you're just watching the event Enjoy it. Remember, it's early start time, 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Enjoy the events, guys. Thanks for joining us. Please like and subscribe. Take care.